My name is Pal. Uh, uh, you can call me your pal. And I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. <laughs> pal. <laughs> yes, that was good. <laughs> pal. <laughs> Hey there, this is Jonathan Stevens, a.k.a. Donovan Morningfire, on the D20 Radio and Fantasy Flight Game Forums. You know, it's hard to believe that after so many years of Saga Edition, you guys will be making the change over to Edge of the Empire. So, here's the hoping to plenty more excellent episodes of the Refurbished and Revitalized Podcast. Even if I never listen to the Order 66 Podcast. Ever. So, uh, how exactly does one get an invite to these uh, live play Skype sessions you're doing, eh? The BBC would like to announce that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. Broadcast live on D20 Radio's Justin TV channel. You're listening to the Order 66 podcast. Brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and MapsOfMastery.com. Welcome back, one and all, for episode number four, count them up, four of the Order 66 podcast for February the 2nd, 2013, and I'm one of your hosts, GM Dave, and with me as usual is Mr. GM Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here, and for those of you tuning in for the very first time, welcome to this cavalcade of awesome this is the order 66 podcast the original podcast entirely devoted to star wars role-playing and it's been a long time dave since we've had the dulcet tones of the fairer gender on the show uh it's true too long i'm I'm just gonna say that so without further ado we want to welcome our special guest for the evening uh senior art director at fantasy flight games zoe robinson hi zoe hi that was chipper. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm actually not the senior art director. They call me the senior art coordinator because I, I Co- technically have an art director who's who who is my boss. A coordinator. See, now your title was given to me by Jay Little, so you can blame him. Right. No, it's it's confusing because the art coordinators do art direction. So we technically are art directors. It's it's very confusing. Okay, so senior art coordinator at Fantasy Flight Games. Right. Yep. Which means there means that I've been there the longest. <laughs> nice. See, how that's long, perfect. How, how long have you been there? Six years now. Wowzers. Six. Uh, six last November. Dude. Congrats. Thank you. Very cool. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, obviously, we got uh, a lot to get to tonight, and a lot of it's going to revolve around you. But uh, Dave, what do you say we uh, pop into the good stuff? 
Uh, yeah, we might be able to do that here uh, momentarily. Like, uh, oh, now, for example. And now, Stormtrooper Poetry. Uh, yeah, I know normally I do some kind of a, a little poem thing here, but uh, I've been thinking lately maybe I should branch out. And uh, so I, I wanted to share with you a, a little bit of a, well, well, this is a different sort of thing. Yes, I, I uh, I've had some time to myself lately, and I thought, uh, I thought what I would do is, uh, you know, I would, uh, I would take a couple of minutes and and write a write a write a song song sort of thing on, uh, you know, for playing. In uh, and I'm hoping it's going to catch on. It's a you, you got to understand it's a work in progress here. Uh, so it, uh, it, it, it 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 might be a little rough, um, um, but you know, bear with me, and uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes. Um, like I say, I've been working on it for about a week now, uh, so I, I thought I would share with you uh, what, what I've got so far. Um, so um, here we go. Um, there, there's no words yet. It's just the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on the I'm working on the melody part right now, um, trying to get it down with, uh, you know, um, in my spare time uh, when I'm not on guard duty or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, uh, here we go. Um, this is I'm, I'm calling this. Um, May the uh, may the hujib of of uh, of happiness um, uh, hang out in your house. Uh, so here we go. Um, um, here we go. This is this is yeah, this is what I've got so far. You ready? Yeah, okay, okay, okay. So um, here we go. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> you want to hear it again? Okay. Oh, oh, hey, look! I made an advancement right there. Added added some. Oh, hope you like it. Stormtrooper poetry. When I first got that one, I just cracked up to myself. <laughs> Very coffee shop. Yeah, it sounded like Newhart. It just reminded me of you know the way, uh, you know the way the way that Newhart always just kind of kind of kind of stutters before he you know, before he says something. Kind of kind of kind of talk. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Nicely done, Fiddleback. <laughs> As usual. Uh so we can get to this. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. Help you again? Yes. Mm. I like the sound of that. All right, news and notes around the uh, webosphere and uh, related to D20 Radio right here. Uh, Feature podcast this week. You guys will be very, very happy to know that um, the Order 66 is uh, bringing sexy back, of course. And oh, yes. Everybody seems to want a piece now. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, Podcast Rebirth is the new hotness, and uh, it doesn't get any hotter than the new incarnation of D20 Radio's own Annie Award-winning Chronicles, the Pathfinder podcast. Um, Azimuth, Steel, Archer, Cherry Pie, they're back. And it's been a... I don't know what four or five months hiatus with them. Yeah, it's been a good while. 
Yep, they're uh, they're back, reborn with a bi-weekly format of live shows. Uh, the first new episode is up right now for all your edification of Gamer Nation, and uh, they're talking Razor Coast with special guest Greg Vaughn. Hmm? Yeah, we met Greg. We did meet Greg. Uh, Nick Logue, Lou Agresta, um, and they also have a, a special appearance by Thurston Hillman to talk about the Gen Con Interactive Special for the Pathfinder Society in the uh, Sagamore Ballroom. Do you remember when D&D used to own Sagamore at Gen Con? <laughs> just saying, right? Yeah. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm just throwing that out there. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, in any event, guys, um, you know it's a great episode. They are back. You can listen to it right now. Yeah, that with a whole bunch of other podcasts, including one that was going to get the featured podcast this week and then got bumped for the giant news of Pathfinder, but we want to give him a <laughs> shout-out anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry to, to full-on into DM Vince, but um, you guys also check out that we've got an RCR um, old-school Star Wars podcast going on. Yes. And um, we will have uh, much, many more details about that um, and get them up, loaded up on the forums and all that jazz uh, here in the next week or so. So you guys uh, keep an eye out for that. And a whole bunch of other great podcasts at www.d20radio.com. Oh, yeah. So it is time for Juicy Bits of Web Goodness. And, of course, we have to start from the keyboard of Sterling Hershey. Dave, is it is it fair to say that we love Sterling Hershey? Uh, it's fair to say that um, if you can uh, remove any sexual overtones, yes, we love Sterling Hershey. <laughs> I love Sterling Hershey. How can you not love Sterling it's Hershey? It's impossible. It's, 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 it's impossible. Uh, so coming hot off the man's guest appearance on Order 66 last episode to talk obligation, Sterling continues that discussion on his own Star Wars Wednesdays blog with not one, but two updates on obligation, taking even deeper readings on that obligometer. Uh, Sterling really expands his points and actually provides true, actual, in-depth examples of what he would see like value 5 or value 15 obligation meaning for each individual obligation type. Great article, sir. Fantastic work. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, You guys go check that out and so much more right now at www.sterlinghershey.com. You know what I love? And this is, this is purely, um, this is purely from my own self edification, I guess is I absolutely love how, they're tying into what we're doing with the show and what the Edge of the Empire is doing, and you know, it's just cool to me. It's like a big network of people that communicate it, on it, the internet. It is. It's like collaboration. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of, ah, uh, yes, yet again, the Gaming Security Agency, the GSA, D Twenty Radio's gloved hand of gaming espionage. Don't you know? Uh, remains the best place to get articles for NPCs, fan-generated contact for Edge of the uh, Empire. And um, um, for those of you ship monkeys out there, Agent 94 has uh, checked in with a new installment of the Equipment Lab, which uh, he dedicates to staffing out the Sinar Fleet Systems LSA-2. The Lone Scout, affectionately called the Thai Chubby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is a deep space and reconnaissance snub fighter for one pilot. 
I'll bet you don't want more than one in the in the Thai chubby. You know? <laughs> yeah, just just saying, just saying. You know, um, we've got an amazing article um, in a new series called Rogue Events by uh, Agent Seven Ninety. Um, just completely blew us away, and it was intended to bring the awesome random encounter and NPC feel uh, of the uh, of the game faster than light to Edge of the Empire. Uh, his first installment. Uh, presents, in a lot of detail, I might add, Dal Trem, collector of artifacts, who can serve as a mission touchpoint for any Edge of the Empire party, which is really cool. Uh, and then, of course, lastly, another one that popped in was from uh, Agent 43, who uh, came in with uh, Heroes on Demand um, and um, presented a fully statted-out, uh, ready-to-play PC I'm going to say Zwei-Gut Fess. That's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to go with. A, uh, a Trandoshan marauder with a family obligation to the hunt and a nasty bent for the Force Pike. And I think another, um, I think another Heroes on Demand went up uh, yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. So they had two this week. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Anyway, you guys check all that stuff out at uh, gsa.thegamernation.org. Uh, and also, the first, uh, I put the first installment of the developer blog for Eons out there, too. Oh, well, we're coming to that. You're, oh, okay. Sorry. I, I jumped ahead on the show notes again. I hate it when I do that. Wow, what's your problem? Fuck ass. Shit. Jesus. God damn it. Uh, so, more Star Wars news. Um, so, Zoe, I, I don't want to put you on the spot if you haven't, because you are an FFG employee, but have you played the X-Wing Miniatures game? I, uh, you know, it's funny. Oh. But, um, <laughs> on Thursday, I, I said to Jay, hey, Jay, I should probably learn how to play X-Wing, huh? Why? Why? Like, because uh, oh, wow. they're probably going to ask me about it on the podcast. Wow. Said, eh. <laughs> wow. So, have you heard of this this uh, company called Fantasy Flight Games? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah okay. All right. Yeah. I was just, you know. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You mean to tell me, Zoe, that you and employee haven't played every single game they've ever produced? <laughs> I'm well, shocked. I mean, and if you look at the uh, art direction credits on that, I think I have them. <laughs> wow, that's even better. Okay, see, I was trying, I was trying to like give you some cred and pump you up and give you an out, and you just ruined it. I mean, I have a gazillion little little ship models at my um, at my desk, and I'm always talking to the uh, the X Wing producers, but I I let myself have a lunch like once a week, so uh, I, I don't really get time much to to play games and. When I do, it's usually RPGs. So, okay, that's awesome. fair. That's fair. Yeah. Well, the point is, as as FFG gears up for the release of the next expansions for for X Wing miniatures, uh, mm-hmm. they have treated us to a preview of the Slave One expansion pack oh, with yes. juicy, juicy picks. Yes, this, and I was so pleased to see that this this is a massive mini, and it flies upright like you'd expect mm-hmm. uh, Fire Spray to do. It looks pimp. Um, uh, and they provide a lot more details on, of course, the mini and the scenarios that come with it and the Fire, Fire Spray 31. So go check it out right now at FantasyFlightGames.com. Yeah. I do have uh, the Slave One is one of the models that are on my desk right now. Oh, that's awesome. I'm very familiar. Even though I don't know the mechanics of the game because Jade wouldn't teach me on Thursday. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I have been known to, you know, make little ship noises and fly the sh- Slave One around the art department cubicle so that's so cool yeah and i i definitely want to thank uh, jay for sending me the capital ship beta you know with the star destroyer and and the um and the curly and corvette that was fantastic 
Yeah, oh. that didn't happen. Oh, damn it! <laughs> I was gonna say the what? <laughs> the the what? <laughs> so that there is that. But far and away, the biggest Star Wars announcement of the last two weeks was the now official confirmation that director J.J. Abrams will be helming the upcoming Star Wars Episode Seven. Holy cow! I'm excited. You guys excited? I'm excited, but I'm just like I'm waiting to be the theater and like, whoa! Look, it's the Millennium Falcon. Look at all that lens flare! <laughs> wow. <sighs> well, you know. <laughs> look, but seriously, uh, listen. I, I most of us like we are most fanboys are really overjoyed with this choice. I mean, considering the man's talent and and his his the, the credit list he's got going for him. Um. The things I thought were really interesting about the announcement were, uh, it's worth noting to those of you who don't know, that Abrams has developed these close professional relationships with both Dennis Murin, who was the visual effects supervisor for the original trilogy, and Ben Burt, who you should all know because he is the sound effects supervisor for all the Star Wars films uh, and the Star Trek film that uh, Abrams released. Uh, And this is the man who devised the sound of Vader breathing and lightsabers clashing. He created those sounds. Um... So it is a safe bet to say that they're probably going to be a part of the upcoming amazingness of Episode 7. That's just my prediction, but we will see. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. And I believe, as good as Star Trek was, you know, the reboot, um, I think he's going to stay away from the lens flare thing. Uh, Probably. Uh, the other thing I read uh, as a side announcement coming out of uh, StarWars.com slash news was that Lucasfilm has announced that they're so devoted into digging into Episode 7 that they have announced a full postponement of Episodes 2 and 3 in 3D. Um, in their words, they're focusing all their efforts on Episode 7 right now, and they won't even announce release dates for Episodes 2 and 3 uh, 3D. Huh. Well, so, because we're all clamoring for 3D episodes of films we've seen nine times. I... You say that like you say that. I don't know if you're joking or if you're actually serious. Um, I don't know if I am either. So that's yeah. what's scaring me too, because I don't know if I am either. <laughs> um, Zoe, what are your thoughts on episode seven? Um, I um, are you the art director? I'm kind of intentionally not having thoughts on episode seven. I mean, I'm excited because um, going through as much uh, licensed stuff as I as I have to, it's it's clear that. Uh, some uh, th- there have been some sort of weird um, things that have cropped up in sort of EU canon that make me scratch my head a little bit, and I think um, that Disney's going to be a, a, a really, really conscientious uh, custodian of the Star Wars universe and just be very careful with canon and and really do a good job. And uh, Abrams, I mean, if you look at Lost and Alias, it, it, he's just capable of sustaining um, sustaining a, a broad audience for a very long time. That's an astute observation. I hadn't considered that, but you are correct. And so, you know, between that and, and um, the really successful reboot of, of the Star Wars franchise in movies, I, I just, I think he's a really solid choice. The chat room is mentioning Super 8. Did he do Super 8? Yes, he did. God damn, that was a good movie too. Such a good movie. That's actually where, like, like the guys I mentioned earlier, Dennis Murin and uh, uh, and Ben Burt, they were also on the Super Eight production oh, wow. team with Abrams. That was that was one of the I didn't I didn't see it because I didn't really I wasn't into the premise of it, and I it was one of those Amazon instant things that I did the other night, 
And I was like, damn, how did I miss this? It was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a great little film. It was good. So that's it for Star Wars news. All right, Gamer Nation. Stop, stop. Pay attention and listen to what I'm saying. Stop. Collaborate and listen. So, <clears throat> Zoe, you may or may not know this, but um, I guess about two years ago, um, you know, we've been, we've been podcasting for five years all about gaming. And uh, a lot of our listeners were like, have been saying for years, like, why don't you guys make some games? And we were like, no, that's, that's silly. Um, and then we thought, well, maybe it's not so silly. So we, we developed a sister company um, uh, out of our listeners' namesake called Gamer Nation Studios. And uh, we kickstarted uh, and funded uh, our first board game uh, last year, last spring, um, and released it at Gen Con to very positive reviews. And it was a kitschy little card game called Edition Wars. Uh, poking fun at the, the, well, the edition wars. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we are about to kickstart, guys, our next project. Yes. And all, all of you listeners, we will need your help. Uh, you know, edition wars was fun. It was kitschy. We had a great time doing it. You guys enjoyed it, but it was definitely our freshman effort. Um, our sophomore effort is going to be a lot better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Dave mentioned it earlier, but uh, my wife, of all people, has actually uh, is the lead designer and has come up with a game idea, which we were so taken with that we decided to move forward with the company and produce it. And the game is called Eons. And it is a hardcore, well, I'm, I'm talking like a 100 plus fiddly bits, strategy game, resource management, where you as a player take on the role of a cosmic architect who is building the universe. Um. Yeah, a lot more will be released as the Kickstarter uh, uh, kicks off, but um, you, you build planets and stars and actually perform fusion in your stars in order to farm additional and more complex resources. Um, and uh, you know, and they, they die and go through life cycles, and it's, it's, it's pretty intense. And uh, we've been playtesting it for several months now, and, and we are ready to take it to Kickstarter. Um, and the, when, when is the Kickstarter kicking off, Dave? Well, it should... I, I believe it's going to be available for us to kick uh, on Monday the 13th because we've got a project going now that's not going to fund um, my daughter's <clears throat> hero deck deal. It was a good, yeah. it was a, you know, very nice idea, but uh, just didn't get the whole lot of support. And um, so that, that ends on Sunday, February the 12th. And assuming the Kickstarter wheel turns as quickly as I believe it does, we will be <laughs> able to start the next project on the next day. Uh, but we're we're extremely excited about this project, guys. Um, a lot of you are familiar with our, our often show guest and Maps of Mastery guru, Chris West, who has provided a vast amount of art uh, for this game uh, of the Celestial Body variety. Um, and uh, Dave, you, you started a developer blog for this on the GSA. Yes, I did. Uh, it's up on both the Gamer Nation website and the GSA. And it starts with basically the premise, how we got there, a little bit about... Um, a little bit about how the game works, and the next installment's going to go up tomorrow or Monday, and is more about the resource types, how we came up with it, the gameplay, the um, the yeah, the cycle of the eon, that sort of deal. Very cool. So, guys, it's coming. Obviously, uh, the next time we podcast, the Kickstarter will have already started, and we'll be talking about it more. But uh, keep your eyes up, and uh, gosh, I guess that's a perfect segue to talking about where they can keep their eyes up and their ears open too, Dave. Uh, sure. So you guys um, keep tuned in, obviously, to the forums. Um, we have Facebook pages for both D20 Radio and the Gamer Nation. We've got Twitter feeds. 
He's GM Chris, at GM Chris. I'm at GM Dave. Yeah, yeah. We post uh, tweet, show information, announcements pretty regularly. Uh, Facebook pages are updated. Fiddleback does a great job on the websites, uh, the GSA in particular, and, and the, the uh, GamerNation.org is, a, you know, is an ancillary one, obviously. And, you know, so you guys check it out. There's no shortage of places to get the information from. Oh, yeah. But if you're not listening, you're not going to hear it. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I, I, again, as I said last show, I'm terrible with metaphor. So, <laughs> oh, all right, Dave, what do we got next? Uh, well, next actually is uh, I'm going to tell the guys in the chat room that um, that are there that they're going to get a free look at uh, Eons on the Kickstarter while uh, while this next uh, episode is running, and this is going to be uh, episode number four of Skill Monkey which is Fiddleback's uh, new segment, new bit that uh, we're putting together. He, um, uh, a editor in ch- editor-in-chief of the GSA blog, and he uh, tackles this long mystic task of trying to figure out what do you do with those dice rolls and those dice pools in within skill checks, right? So what happens with an advantage? What happens with a... You know, with a triumph or a despair or whatever, and and uh, so to that end, he uh, he's taking us into another episode of his uh, brilliant skill monkey segment uh, entitled "The Big Leap," and this one is about seven minutes, and we will be back with you guys on the other side. Skill monkey. Skill checks are one of the most narratively creative elements in FFG's Star Wars system. They represent opportunities for players and GMs to work together to create the kind of stories and adventures that become epic and cinematic. At least, they can be epic and cinematic if you think creatively about the dice results. Let me show you what I mean. Today, I'll be dealing with a listener suggestion taken from the Skill Monkey thread on the Order 66 boards. You have no one to blame but yourself for what follows. My GM, Crimson Steel, thinks it would be awfully clever for me to have to move from one speeder to the next, while they're in motion. Yes, it's the ever-popular jump from the moving speeder to the other moving speeder. Apparently, the MacGuffin is gold-plated or something this time, and I really, really want to get it very badly indeed. Also, there's cake. Probably. Right. So jumping. Hoorah! Suddenly all those points I put in xenology seem like a huge waste. Jumping, like rope climbing before it, is an athletics check keyed to my brawn characteristic. Your average Wookiee, given the same chance, would probably happily leap across the gap, hair streaming back from his body a roar of triumph on his lips, and stick the landing all while swinging his vibroaxe through the control panel. I am not a Wookiee. Sadly. It'll be all I can do to make the leap without crying for my mother or wetting myself. For simplicity's sake, I'm going to assume I don't have to worry about piloting the speeder I am departing. I'll pick my moment carefully and, all other things being equal, relative speed, direction of travel, etc., I'm ready to go. Simple success will, as is often the case, mean I got it right the first time. Yay! I made the jump without any extra problems and am now free to move about the cabin. 
As Crimson Steel would no doubt say, you watch for your moment, and when it seems right, you fling yourself into the air in the direction of the other speeder. Much to your relief, you hit the Trandoshan's vehicle amidships and splay yourself across the back seat in safety with a heavy sigh of relief. Cool! That was easy! Now I can worry about that Trandoshan on the next round. Multiple successes can do a number of things. At the simplest level, they add distance to your jump, but you might not want that to happen given that you're trying to hit a moving target. No sense overshooting just because you did too well. Instead, maybe you land on your feet like you train for this on a daily basis. You could even, given sufficient success, land in such a way that you simply plop into the seat next to the Trandoshan, much to everyone's surprise. Wouldn't that be cool? In this situation, even a simple failure is immediately sphincter tightening. If you are at any kind of altitude, a failure could mean severe injury or death. It depends on your GM. Fortunately, my GM is Crimson Steel, and he is at once forgiving, but fair. Or so I've been told. By his surviving players. Probably under duress. Hmm. Anyway, I'm sure he wouldn't make this fatal. If I'm at a low altitude, perhaps I just hit the dirt a couple of feet below, rolling in the dust for a bit, before jumping up and shouting, Ta-da! If I am at a more significant altitude, say a couple stories up, maybe I tripped on a piece of equipment and landed face down in my own speeder where people can point and laugh. They love to do that. Especially those guys in Crimson Steel's game. Jerks. The real problems start when threat hits the table. Maybe one of the speeders had to dodge incoming traffic. Or the Trandoshan decides to change altitudes just as I leap. Or one of us slows down. Or I'm being shot at. Now, maybe I jumped, but I'm only clinging on by my fingernails to the other speeder. And I didn't even have my nails manicured this week. Or I sort of make the jump, but only because a protruding piece of the speeder caught on my utility belt. Either way, I am in deep trouble come next round and should probably expect to see some serious setback dice and Crimson Steel has started to look a lot less friendly and more like an agent of doom. Curse you, Crimson Steel. I need advantage. If this isn't going to end in total disaster, advantage has to save me. The neat thing is, just like threat, advantage can have carry-on effects in this scenario. Suppose the speeders close the gap a little, or my pilot manages to get an advantageous position just a little above the Trandoshan, so it's less of a jump and more of a drop. Now I can leap in and get the drop on him. Maybe kick him in the head as I come in, or pull a blaster on him just as I land. Maybe my life doesn't flash before my eyes and my pants stay dry. I'll bet I get some advantage next turn to apply to my attack or snatching the MacGuffin. I'm a jumped-up jack-in-the-box genius. Right up until I roll the despair. At that point, there is very little to keep me from falling 300 stories through 90 layers of traffic to the bottom of Coruscant except the good graces of my most benevolent, charming, kind, intelligent, handsome, fair, forgiving, and above all, generous GM. Crimson Steel, you are a man among men, a prince among princes. You I love like a brother, and would wish nothing but life, luck, and happiness all of your days. Either that, or I better hope I'm the tent pole propping up the plot that week. Maybe go for both. Then, once you have covered all your bets, maybe you can still totally miss the jump and be rescued by landing on a speeder going the other way. Not unharmed, of course, but alive. Maybe you land in a handy pile of empty cardboard boxes. Maybe the world conveniently rearranges itself around you so that somehow, 
you happen to catch a pole or railing and can switch to a coordination check, which I'm sure you're much better at, right? Good. Try your damnedest to be triumphant, though. Seriously, it's a whole lot better in this scenario. You can triumphantly leap to the other speeder, take out the Trandoshan and take over the controls of the speeder in one fell swoop. With triumph in your pool, you could launch yourself into the air, scream rage at the Trandoshan, brandish your vibro sword, decapitate him and land victorious, all while raising your finger to the dumbfounded Wookiee pilot of your own craft. Take that! Ha! You got nothing on me, Crimson Steel! Nothing! If you'd like to submit a skill test for me to go through, head over to the D20 Radio forums under the Order 66 podcast and let me know what it is you'd like me to do. In the meantime, remember, telling epic stories is easy if you just apply a little imagination to what the dice are telling you. See you next time. Now where's my cake? Do you remember the uh, chase scene that we had that was one of those defining moments for Salora back when we were talking about Star Wars Saga Edition? Yes, I do. This reminded me of that, making that jump and that leap and then having to come up with a climb check at the end because I damn near missed it. (laughs) Yeah. To set the scene for you, Zoe. The party, Dave is playing a Wookiee, by the way, with an anger management issue. Um is chasing after a group of hoodlums who've kidnapped a very important NPC, and they are racing out on swoop bikes over an ocean. And uh, they proceed to start hopping swoop bikes, and uh, Dave makes this incredible leap and fails it horribly, grabbing onto the end of the speeder with his claws and getting soaked in the process. And eventually, when 200 kilos of wet Wookiee hauled himself up into the speeder, it did not go well for the driver. (laughs) Right. Yep. Yeah. It was fun. It was one of those really cool moments that... Yeah, it was pretty cinematic. Yes, yeah. one of my favorites as well. Yes, but anyway, uh, not to take away from Fiddleback's excellent episode, thank you very much, um, Fiddy. That's, uh, as usual, fantastic. Very nicely done, sir. And we will go from that to this. He doesn't seem to take a hint, this guy. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. Messages from the edge. Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. So we're back with Messages from the Edge. This is where uh, a regular show segment where we, the GMs, like uh, as in him and me, um, along with any super special guests we might have, like her, Take the time to answer your games and rules question about the system. And uh, you might be asking yourself right now, how can we get these questions to you guys? Well, oh, I know, I know. Okay. Um, um, okay. Horshack in the back. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah. Travel to our forums and post it up. Head to www.d20radio.com slash forums. Register. Head to the Order 66 podcast boards where you will find a messages from the edge thread. You can also email us. Email us your questions, gmchris at d20radio.com and gmdave at d20radio.com. And if you are brave enough and bold enough, the few, the proud, the creaky of voice, leave us a question via voicemail on the D20 Radio hotline at 262-D20-RADIO. 
262-320-7234. And no, we don't live in southeast Wisconsin. That's the number for Wisconsin. We actually are in Dallas, and we use a virtual number because, well, it has, says it spells out 262-D20 radio. I mean, that's really the only reason <laughs> if I li- If I lived in southeast Wisconsin, I would fill my home with cheese curds and never leave. They would find <laughs> my body after many weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it would be great. Although, I, you know, as, as I said, I was in Milwaukee last week, and it was butt cold. Yeah. <laughs> it was negative one when I but left the, the airport. the cheese curds provide insulation. They do. They do. That's true. They're in more ways than more. one. And then you can eat the insulation. There is no question about that. <laughs> okay. So. <clears throat> oh, first... By the way, Zoe, oh, I yeah. know you are by no means a rules expert, madam, but I would encourage you to pipe in if you feel the need. Okay. I, uh. I also did, I was on the, the very first play test when the writer of the beginner game was writing the adventure. So if anything, you'll provoke stories out of me. So. Perfect. That's the best response we can get. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so I will um, attempt to read these questions. And our first one comes from Away Put Your Weapon, who says this. He says, I have a question. Great, wonderful. How would the Move Power's final control upgrade, this is page 144 to 145, interact with the Brawl skill, or perhaps with the Pressure Point talent from page 97? Would you allow unarmed attacks to be performed using this power, and could the combination of Move and Pressure Point possibly be a way to perform Darth Vader's infamous fourth force choke. The text for the control upgrade reads, allowing him to do whatever he could normally do with his hands to a held item. Hmm. Ah, yes. More Jedi munchkinish on my see. So, is an enemy's windpipe a held item? <laughs> I like it. Okay. Exhibit A. Darth Vader crushes Captain Antilles' throat on uh, board Tantive 4. Exhibit B, Darth Vader crushes Admiral Ozell's throat via view screen prior to the assault on Hoth. And a bunch of other telekinetic executions throughout the film. Anyway, (laughs) thoughts? So, so Vader crushes Antilles' throat at the beginning of Episode 4. And then later we see him crush Ozzel's throat, obviously after, you know, the failed assault on Hoth. So, yeah, linkage. Okay. I don't know. This is interesting thought away. Um, my, gut, <clears throat> my gut reaction tells me at this stage of the game, meaning we don't actually have a true game yet, just the beta and the beginner set, we're going to see a power eventually, if not immediately, that lets you use the force to directly wound someone else. Agreed. But he does present an interesting argument. Um, I hesitate to link them because I think force choke, as you put it, uh, despite the fact that Vader does do it to uh, Captain Antilles and probably has a pretty decent brawn and brawl, um, I I don't think force choke should be linked to your ability to brawl. uh, and Especially your brawn should not be linked to your force choke. Um, It should be related to your ability to use the force, bottom line. Um, I think I'll, be, I'm willing, I'll put, this, put it this way. Although he would never do it, I'll bet Yoda could force choke the shit out of somebody. <laughs> I bet. And I know Palps could, and that's a man who ain't going to brawl and ain't going to brawl. 
Um, so from that perspective, I'm kind of inclined to say no. I also think the text of the final control upgrade is intended to be like fine manipulation of objects, like disarming a bomb or slicing a computer or some such, not brute force attacks. But considering that it would cost a character 65 XP just to get that final control upgrade, assuming they got there as quickly as they could with nothing else, and a 90 XP total to also get pressure point as quickly as they could, an argument could be made that this is an acceptable level of cheese for that much XP. It still doesn't sit right with me, uh, pretty much for the reasons I mentioned. I think we're just going to have to wait for more material to come out. I don't know. I I don't know. Zoe, have you any chance to play? Well, if you if you played the beginner's box, there wasn't much force use in that. There wasn't any force use in that, was there? Uh, um, I'm in actually in three uh, different Edge of the Empire campaigns right now. Sweet. <laughs> nice. So, what thought thoughts on this? Uh, as a GM, my uh, for for my game that I GM, I would have to say no. That it uh, goes a little bit against the spirit of of what I feel. What's going on? I mean, if if mm. If it's your game, do whatever. But um, we haven't the. I don't know that the the tool set is there to to go into the. Yeah, I don't know. Like, like you, I I don't. Combining force with brawl just doesn't doesn't quite sit with me. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can see for for flinging someone against the against the um, against a wall or or adding some velocity to your punch, but I don't know about choking people. I, I, I'd at least uh, do it uh, against the person's stats. I'd at least give them a, a, a chance to willpower their way out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good suggestion, actually. Um, very, so yes. They're not an animate object, and they're connected to the entire person. Yeah, yeah. I, I I agree on all points. Yep. Cool. What's next? What is next? We have a simple question from Outlaw Knight Zero, who says, "I have a question for you all," which I guess is us. When you buy into a new specialization, does it unlock the career skills in addition to the bonus career skills or just the bonus career skills? I understand his confusion. Uh, remember, guys, e- each career has a set list of career skills, and but each specialization within a career offers a list of bonus career skills. So, so like, if, if I'm a hired gun who buys into the Politico specialization even though I'm not actually going to ever have the call in this career. In addition to the bonus skills um, I'll now get for Politico, like charm, coerce, deceit, negotiation, which I did not get as a hired gun, his question is really, do I also get the core career skills of the colonist, which aren't part of the Politico, like leadership, knowledge, education, stuff like that. Um, and when I look at the text in the beta book, uh, OKZ, um, page 65 lays it out thusly. Each specialization has career skills these skills now count as career skills for that character. I interpret that to mean it's just the bonus skills granted by the specialization, not the entire career that houses it. I mean, you only ever have one career that sets up a really rather broad list for you, but you can enhance that list in small ways through specializations that happen to belong to other careers, but it's those small enhancements. I don't know. Does that that make sense? What do you guys think? 
That's kind of how I interpret it. She, um, your response is correct. Okay. Perfect. See? And that's what I would have gone with as well. Boom! Yep, that just happened. Yeah, boom chakalaka. <laughs> Again, you know, like, I, I I haven't been hanging over Sam's shoulder, so I, I, uh, I mean, all I could say is that's how we did it in in um in our game. So, I don't know if the rules have changed since then, but it was just the bonus skills. Cool. Okay. Last question for the night, Dave. What do we got? All right, last one. Um the last one comes from um our own fragmentor of the rim. <laughs> see. See how that works. Oh yeah, uh, Darth GM, and he asks. Um, Quick Strike says, when performing an attack check during combat, the character adds one boost die per rank of Quick Strike to combat checks against any target that has not yet acted. Is this per round or per encounter? Uh, meaning, does this only occur during the first round of combat, or does this occur during every round of combat since the order of who goes when can change? My D20 days tell me it's per encounter, but I wanted to be sure. I just feel like they left um, they left off two important words at the end of the description, Namely, how often it's used. So, the Quick Strike Talent, uh, page 97 of the of the Edge of the Empire beta book, by the way, is pretty cool. Um, part of the Assassin, Scoundrel, and Scout trees. It works and is worded just as you describe, uh, Phil. But what does that mean? Uh, you know, you, he pokes fun at himself, but a lot of us, you know, are, are guilty of struggling to break free of the D20 mindset where every square inch of the rules was mapped out in triplicate, Less some rules, Gundark, come along to gobble up your game, apparently. Um, but in this case, Phil, I think we take it literally and we take it sensibly. Uh, the talent says that it applies, quote-unquote, during combat um, on attacks against targets that, quote-unquote, have not acted yet. In simple words, have not acted yet in that combat. So to use the D20 mind frame and phraseology, uh, I would say it's used on targets that haven't acted yet that encounter, uh, assuming, assuming encounter in Edge of the Empire, as you define it, doesn't start until combat does. Um, which is not necessarily the case with this system, and one of the reasons I really like it. Uh, <laughs> uh, this will usually mean that it's usable during the first round of a fight only, uh, unless a foe comes into the fight late, of course. Uh, but I, I can't imagine how powerful this would be if it could be used this way every single round of a fight. Plus, if that happened, it would virtually guarantee the character who had it went first every round. That's yeah, kind of boring. So, yeah, kind of. Um, for all those reasons, I, I think it's obviously per, per combat for, as opposed to per round. I don't know. Thoughts? I wouldn't be able to speak to that. Mm. Dave, thoughts? Um, I think, um, I mean, I, there's not too much really to say, in my opinion. If you, if you, it says, you know, you haven't acted. And if you haven't acted, that means you haven't you acted. Haven't, you haven't I acted. Mean, that's, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't, I, I, I mean, I'm trying not to be a, a 
I'm trying not to be, you know, a jerk about it or anything, but I mean, it, it's, well, it, I it, think it's, it's straightforward. It's, it's, it's one of those things that's easy to kind of overthink because we're all used to all the, the, you know, the, the D20 mindset, if you will, and D and D and all that other stuff where, you know, once per encounter, you may do this, you know, well, let's, you know, let's just take a step back and say, you know, read the words for what they are and say, you know, against a target who has yet to act, you get this bonus. Okay, great, wonderful. So the guy hadn't done anything yet. Once he does something, I can't take the bonus anymore. Easy. That's, that's you know, it. Yeah. That, that is that is it. And I think that's pretty indicative of the general rules in the book. I don't think we're going to see deeper clarification than that. And quite frankly, that makes me a little excited. So, very pleased. Good questions, guys. We want to hear more of what you have to say. Um, obviously, get your questions to us. Uh, we want to hear it. But at this point, Dave, I think it's time to move into a back-to-back whammy of our long-running uh, Fragments from the Rim segment, obviously by Phil, who just submitted that very question. Um, and it's now Sister Segment uh, by Crimson Steel, Transmissions from the Rim. Transmissions from the Rim is true. Yeah, and by the way, uh, chat room, sorry, I, uh, I was busy trying to read a question and didn't realize that the uh, chat room had dropped. Oh yeah, so uh, the chat room is back, and uh, when I looked over, all of a sudden everybody was like, "Hey, I bet they didn't even see that it dropped." I'm like, "Oh, oh, well, look at that." So yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> what what with all the juggling and the mimes, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. All right, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll hit fragments from the rim, and um, and then we'll hit transmissions from the rim, pretty much back to back, and see you guys again in about uh, nine minutes. And here we go. The farther you get from the core worlds, the more mysteries there are in the galaxy. Secrets that can mean the difference between success or failure, triumph or despair, life or death. Take a seat. My friend here will reveal one of these secrets. One of these fragments from the rim. Excellent! You made it! All of it is still showing the pregame. Take a seat, but not one that blocks my view. I know I normally recommend something a little more refined, but it's tradition. Here. May the best team win. You know, there are two sayings that get banded about during this time of year. The first is the quote, the best defense is a good offense. Certainly true. If you're in a fight and your opponent drops first, you're not going to get swung at anymore. Or shot at. But there's a better quote that I like. The best defense is a good defense. If you find yourself getting into a lot of fights, odds are someone's going to hit you. Best that you do what you can to decrease the odds of that shot landing. There are many ways you can keep up an active defense. The first is simply to take a guarded stance. This maneuver can be done by anyone with half a brain, and helps out in melee conflicts. You're causing your opponent a setback to attack you, but because of your guarded state, you take a setback of your own in melee and brawling attacks. The next step up from this is to learn how to take a defensive stance. It's similar to a guarded stance, costs a maneuver to enter, but instead of causing a setback, you're actually upgrading the difficulty of your opponent's ability to hit you. The more training you have in defensive stance, the more you upgrade the difficulty everyone has to hit you in melee combat. Gadgeteers, bodyguards, marauders, And oddly enough, outlaw techs provide training with this talent. Bodyguards get the most training in this maneuver, which makes sense. 
Blaster Fire is a whole other ballgame. Guarded and defensive stances are going to do squat if some bounty hunter rockets over you, blazing away with twin blasters. For that, you have to know how to sidestep. It works just like a defensive stance, but works against ranged attacks. Bodyguards, mercenary commanders, scoundrels, and once again, outlaw techs receive training in sidestepping incoming fire. I guess outlaw techs have a tendency to get into trouble with a variety of clients. Bodyguards can be just as good with sidestepping as they can be with a defensive stance. But scoundrels can also be just as good. Here's a nasty combination. A bodyguard who cross-trains into mercenary commander, and then to scoundrel. You can conceivably upgrade the chance to be hit by ranged attacks up to five times. You might pass out from the effort, though. You see... Sidestep and defensive stance are both stressful actions, costing you an amount of strain equal to the number of times you upgrade the difficulty to be hit. So be careful not to stress yourself into unconsciousness. You can also do this by dodging. Now, dodging allows you to get out of the way of any melee or ranged attack. Same cost as defensive stance and sidestep, but you do this as a reaction to being attacked, instead of a maneuver when it's your turn, and only upgrades that one attack against you. Lots of careers provide access to dodge. Some you'd expect, some not so much. Assassins, fringers, and thieves, that's expected. But also doctors and politicos teach you a thing or two about the fine art of getting out of the way. The best at dodging are assassins, fringers, and thieves, able to learn how to dodge twice as well as the other careers. Be careful about picking up a lot of dodge ability. You might be tempted to use it on many attacks, but since you have to choose to trigger it for each attack individually, you're much more susceptible to exhausting yourself while doing it. <sighs> Gadgeteers and outlaw techs can also learn how to jury-rig their armor to provide extra protection, imposing a setback die against melee or ranged attacks. You'd still have to choose what sort of protection you're going for once you started to modify the armor, though. Still, every little bit helps. Getting back to Gadgeteers for a second. An experienced gadgeteer that has the improved armor mastery talent increases the amount of defense his armor provides as long as it's a decent suit to begin with. A nasty combination for specializations would be a bodyguard who takes some additional training as a gadgeteer, or vice versa. Great defensive stance and sidestep training, coupled with the jury-rigged and improved armor master talents, turn you into a pocket-sized combat walker, able to upgrade the difficulty of ranged attacks twice, melee attacks three times, and on top of that, adding an additional two or three setbacks, depending on the armor you've got access to. At that point, you should be handing out cigaras to anyone lucky enough to hit you. That or apologizing to the nice Dark Lord of the Sith. Vader gets so cross when you make him run after you. Speaking of Vader and his ilk, I'd be remiss if I did not talk about the defenses provided by those who can utilize the Force. It's okay. Stop looking around like that or you will draw attention to us. Those exiles who are trained in the Force can provide themselves with a sixth sense and superior reflexes, which help them avoid ranged and melee attacks, respectively. If they focus on their ability for sensing, they can opt to maintain a general Force awareness and upgrade the difficulty of all incoming attacks, as if they were constantly dodging by one or two if they're really good at it. The main benefit is that they gain this without an equal cost of strain to do so. It happens for every attack. <laughs> Looks like I've been going on for a while. They're about to have the cred toss at the start of the game. 
I'd ask you to stick around, but I want to focus on the game. I've got some credits of my own riding on this. Who did I pick? Why, the team with the best defense, of course. Thanks for stopping by. Pay your tab at the door, and may the imps always be one step behind you. Why, hello there. Welcome back. Here to hear more about the disreputable scum of the galaxy? I think I've got just the thing. This one is a real doozy. Why don't we skip that customary drink and cut straight to my latest transmission from the rim? You won't be disappointed. This transmission is Type 2 classified. Anybody listening without a Type 2 clearance will be court-martialed. Begin transmission. Agent, I want you to locate a Kubaz named Rulim. He is a bounty hunter and informant of ours, embedded in Timo the Hutt's organization. The Hutt uses his services from time to time to assassinate his enemies. The Hutt, however, is not aware he reports all of his dealings to the Empire. We have not heard back from Rulim in some time. He has failed to make his last two drops. Your job is to locate him if he still lives, find out if he has turned, and eliminate the alien scum if he has. Fighting him might not be easy. Rulim has some street smarts. He knows the outer rim. He knows the underworld, and he has a great ability to fade into the background if he knows he's being watched. We would like the informant alive. He gives good information. Unlike most Kabaz, Rulim has a very low cunning and no social skills. His utter lack of any negotiating prowess means he works for us quite cheaply. However, if he has turned, you must eliminate him. Rulim is a darn good sniper with a cool head and expert concentration. He is good at stalking his prey and quick to strike from afar with a heavy blaster rifle at which he is a darn good shot. Rulim's knowledge of xenology means he knows the anatomy of just about every major species of the galaxy. So what he aims for, we usually yield a lethal blow. Our last contact with the Kubaz led us to believe the alien was about to relocate to Jabba's palace and spy for us there after one last job for Timo. So find the alien and take him out if you must. An Imperial spy. Huh. I'm sure that information will be worth a lot to the right people. Have the bartender send me that drink on your way out. Your tab, of course. Ah, uh, yes. Very nicely done, gentlemen. And of course, the NPC that was just gone over in that segment is now up and available for perusal on the GSA. So you guys head to gsa.thegamernation.org to check that article out. Belay that order. Belay that order. Oh, well, by the time most people hear the podcast, it'll be there. Well, hopefully. I don't know. Our data center got hit by a tornado, and uh, we've been having issues. Now the the hosting company that hosts us is down. So, I mean, (laughs) it must be bad if their site is down. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. Well, hopefully by the time the sound waves of our voices reach your ears, yes, the GSA hopefully. will be back up, and as will that article. So go listen. That would be fantastic, and I mean, like, really fantastic, right? It really would. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, Zoe, we were talking about this um, <clears throat> earlier. You said coming into uh, obligation mm-hmm. from our last episode. Yep. That you had a favorite obligation. I do. I do, I do. Um, the 
a campaign I'm I'm doing with the RPG department right now with uh, Sam Stewart being the GM uh, is my I, I like to uh, experiment with the different kinds of characters you can play and so I, I'm playing a ten year old little thief girl and her uh, her obligation is addiction and um, she's a kleptomaniac she <laughs> she can't she can't help it. And so literally what Sam does is every once in a while in during the session, he'll point at me and say, okay, roll skull degree. So even if we're in a room filled with people pointing guns at us, like Sam will say, okay, roll skull degree. And I'll, <laughs> cause she just, she just can't help herself. And it's gotten like, I, I steal things from, from fellow party members. I've gotten, gosh, I, I, there was one actually became a really big part of that that um, episode where um, the little girl had stolen what turned out to be a thermal detonator off of the uh, off of the hired gun, and, and none of them realized it. So when they got in trouble, um, it turned out that the the ten year old was the one with the you know the nuclear weapon. <laughs> it, was great. it was really fun. Awesome. So yeah. So that's that's my favorite obligation is the um, addiction addiction kleptomania because you just get you you give the GM so many tools to <laughs> to mess with the story and and slip you MacGuffins and uh, it's it's very fun. Oh, the chat room's loving that. That's great. That's greatness. Well, sorry for the segue, Dave, but I, I had to I had to share that. I thought that was awesome. Oh yeah, not a problem, dude. And that's uh, you know. I love I you know we keep returning to the obligation because people are finding better and better ways to use it and yeah so it's awesome it's it, it's good stuff we might even have a maybe semi regular show bit in the works I'm Ooh. just gonna I'm gonna throw that spoiler out there and I'm gonna I'm gonna then I'm gonna let it sit and watch it watch it float to the bottom of the screen yeah. That Ah, yes. Was that your way of, like, pushing me off the stage? Was that the... <laughs> Good God, man! That, yeah, that pretty much was. That was know? the Oscar music saying, let's get to the meat already? That was the Oscar music. That absolutely okay, was. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for the delay. Let's get to no, the meat. No, it's okay. I'd, I'd, already, I'd started the music once, and then I, re, and I recycled it, and I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and I was like... I've like, fun obligation stuff all day. There's oh, yeah. We can always go back and revisit more and more and more because I mean this is going to be a pretty freeform discussion. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm also having trouble seeing the button, so I'm afraid to like stop and start something. So yeah. Oh, dude! For, for for our listeners who who aren't aware, Dave is fighting through show production with a massive migraine right now. Um, so you're a trooper, dude, and we love you. Hey, we're trying, man. <laughs> well, let's say we get to the meat, Zoe. Sure, I like meat. Uh, I'm not going to touch that. Okay. Metasaurus. Uh, Metasaurus. Uh, so uh, we got you here, obviously, you know, to talk about something very specific. No, nobody can argue that, that one of the defining features of Edge of the Empire to this point has been the utterly gorgeous art and production that's gone into it. And, and we don't even have the core book yet. <laughs> I mean, 
from from the simple beta book with the handful of art it had that set that tone all the way through to the gorgeous beginner's box set that the look and the feel of the product has just been masterful so first of all on that kudos to you and your team well, thank yes you. yes we're, i know we're crazy proud of the beginner game um it, it just came together really well and got a lot of um really really skilled artists working their hearts out for us so we are oh. very fortunate well, in that well it's like you look at it and it, it inspires us when we look at it to want to play it puts you into the star wars universe when you flip the pages um and that that kind of thing is not easy to do uh and bottom line is a lot of gms also struggle to get that same feeling in the games they play so obviously zoe when you contacted us um, you know, senior art coordinator for Fantasy Flight Games and, uh, and, and fan of the show, no less. We, we just had to seize the opportunity to have you come on and talk to us about the, the art and the art production for Edge of the Empire. And then maybe delve into some ways that, that GMs and players can get that same feeling of the Star Wars Edge in their own games. So, again, thank you for being here. And, and again, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, uh. So, start off by... You know, we, we obviously we talked about this earlier, but but who are you, and just what it what what is it that you do? Well, I uh, I'm the senior art coordinator, and I was the art coordinator for well, I'm the art coordinator for the uh, Edge of the Empire line, as well as the Star Wars LCG and the um, X-wing miniatures game. And what that means is is that once um, once the producers of the game know what art they're going to, or sort of vaguely what they need. It's my job to figure out what it is that they need or help them figure out what it is that they need. Then um, find artists and match them up to those art needs. Um, so they're all freelance artists. We have no in-house art staff. Mm. So I scout freelance artists, hire them, uh, work them through the, the process You know, with... Um, with revisions and handbacks, um, sort of with an eye to what we need the piece to be and also to you know, being a custodian of, of the license to make sure that it's really Star wars enough. And then when that goes through, we uh, I, I pay them and then I keep rolling on to the next project. <laughs> so let me, let me ask you something. Do you ultimately make the decision as this passes muster or is it another individual that is directly responsible for that content that does that so the I, my favorite metaphor for the art department is that it's kind of a it's kind of an RPG party in that we've got a um, we have a tank who is our manager who <laughs> okay. who, who uh, sort of takes all that incoming damage for us when I'm happy for things you know I, I DPS down uh, yeah we have to get this done on this schedule alright yeah, it's done now I'm happy with it I give it to my boss Andrew Navarro when Andrew's happy with it um, if he's not happy with it I have more work to do if he's more happy with it then we can send it on to LFL to Lucasfilm Limited and um, once Lucasfilm gives it their blessing then um, then we can go back and, and um hand it to the graphic designers and have them start to lay it out in the products. So it's 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 convoluted. Hey, did bit. you did you notice that your friends in chat? Or are you in our better yet, are you in chat? I am in chat, yeah. So apparently one of your coworkers has joined us in chat. 
is he a coworker or a contractor? Is it Tony? Tony, is that you? I think this is. Yeah, uh, it's uh, Tony Floating, who is the artist who uh, designed Ascara from the beginner book. That's awesome. So I just want to say, Tony, because you're listening in chat, like, I saw Ascara, that image, and, like, immediately, like, yeah, great job, dude. (laughs) That's possibly my favorite character portrait. No, it is my favorite character portrait in the the beginner's box. Awesome, awesome imagery. So, big whoop. (laughs) I definitely have a soft spot for Ascara. Well, I mean, all the characters, but... um... That badass Tulek lady who is wearing all of her clothes—that's that's really exciting for me. I've got it like uh, on the camera, right up on the chat now, so people can see exactly what it is you guys are talking about. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it's badass. Oh man, Skype is giving me heck right now. <laughs> Skype is uh, Skype is being the evil bitch that she is. She is, yes. Is, wait, wait, wait. The uh, fickle. Is it just me, Dave, or is Zoe breaking up a bit for you? The, the fickle bitch that she is. That's that's Skype. Um, yeah, no, Zoe was breaking up a little bit, but I could still understand her. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, oh, you sound much better now. Not your fault. Okay. As, as Not a, your fault in any way. Okay. That's yeah. that's good to know. Yeah, uh, Pash, someone said that they like Pash. Pash was uh, done by a French woman named Magali Villanueva. Um, wow. And she pulled that off in under 24 hours. <laughs> Which this was, was, are you talking about this one, Pesh? Yeah, pa- the smuggler. Yeah. But, uh, it, it, there were fires and I was flinging my body on them. And finally, it came down to me um, talking to this artist and saying, Magali, help me. You're my only hope. And so she said, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he looks awesome. And she, you know, spent 24 hours not sleeping and came back with Pesh. Wow. Yeah, for those of you that haven't gotten the beginner box yet, you're in for a treat. It's really well done, and the price point suggests that it um, is that you're. What am I trying to say? There's an incredible amount of value in the box given the price point. Is what I'm trying to say. You know, thirty dollars, or at least it was when I got it. Yeah, and uh, it is uh, worth, in my mind, way more than that. So. You guys, uh, you guys, go to your FLGS and check it out. Are you you're selling it direct off your website too, right? Um, there, yes, we sell it directly from our e-store. Perfect. Very cool. So, Zoe, we had several listeners send in questions for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first one actually relates pretty heavily to you know you talking about you know your job and what you do. Um, and this actually comes from Sporadic Order sixty six co host and my wife uh, Tweelet Goodness. Um. Uh, who was in in love with the production of of, of the beginner's box and, and and the beta, and she was so serious about this question that she even sent sent it to me all nice and proper in an email, uh, despite the fact that we kind of share the same bed. Uh, <laughs> um, when when I haven't upset her, that is. Uh, and so she she wrote in the following. She says, Zoe, in all the episodes of the Order sixty six podcast over the last five years. I am pretty sure you are the first female guest who actually works in the industry. And I think that's pretty badass, just saying. 
but this seems to be an industry dominated by men, and I really wanted to ask you what it's like being a female working in this industry. What what challenges do you face? How do you overcome them? And thank you for all your hard work, TG. Wow. Uh, thanks, TG. Um, I think that a um, that there is a lack of women in the industry. Mostly, I think because a, a lot of 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 girls don't quite understand that gaming it, they're allowed to be gamers. Yeah, um, okay. yeah. Well, no, it's I true. Mean, I think that comes down to a, a lot with art that you you for um, escapism you kind of want to see people who look like you. And um, in past decades, that hasn't necessarily been um, a focus in in art. Um, so that's that's something I feel very strongly about. Um, is well, I mean, we had a beginner game um, playtester who uh, ended up playtesting with her husband, and then her ten year old daughter, and then her sixty two year old uh, mother in law. And both her daughter and her mother-in-law were like, uh, they, they were really dodgy in the idea of, you know, a role-playing game and, and what, uh, what can they do? What can't they do? Blah, blah. So, um, they didn't, they didn't, it took some explaining to them for them to realize, oh, I've been doing this my entire life just without, without a, a proper rule step. It's just, it's, it's playing pretend with structure. And once they understood that it was just imagining that they came, they came onto it. I, um, that's anyway one of my one of my theories for why there aren't that many um, that many women in the industry right now is because girls are just becoming gamers, really in a in a large sense. Um, when I started gaming, I was in seventh grade. It was my yeah? It was seventh grade. It was West End Games Second Edition Star Wars. Oh hell's yeah! Yep, yep. yep. I was in a play, and two of my guy friends were like, "So here's this we, the Star Wars game. We want to play it." And we had no idea what it was. And uh, my parents had heard that role playing was the devil, questionably health, you know, possibly unhealthy. Blah blah blah. So I um. I <laughs> brought the book to my mother who looked through it. So she looked through the art and then she decided that, yes, I, I would be allowed to play. So I guess that's something I, I think a lot about um, while I'm, I'm art directing for our Star Wars role-playing game is, you know, how many, you know, 12-year-old girls are, are going to take this book to, to their mom or their dad in hopes of, of being allowed to play. Uh, which is, doesn't quite answer the question, but it's a, it's a, it's definitely always on my mind. Well, and yeah, you, you have the unique perspective of, you know, you've been through it, you've done it. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of how to address that with your, with your target atmosphere or your target audience. Yes. It's very, it's very, uh, it's very Lion King. I definitely feel like I'm holding the RPG lion off the, uh, off the little cliff. Um, <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. boy. 
Lovely. Um, let's see. Industry dominated by men. Yes. Um, and it's it's been great because in a, my very first RPG that I, I art directed, that we started the core book, um, I, it was like I got the brief for the cover and it was like the 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 captain, the navigator, and the captain's lover are on the... And I was like, wait, 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 what? Wait, why does... Because the only female was, you know, sexually connected to the captain. And, and um, I was like, okay, look, you've told me that in this game you can be the, the captain, the navigator, and, and the, the, the sex object. I call captain, what do you want to play? Right, like... And they, and they went... Oh my God! The, the sh- they were they were sh- horrified. They had absolutely not intended that at all, and um, have been very very careful ever ever since then to uh, be very mindful of 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 that. In fact, um, if you play the beginner game, the the names the A B C D names. It's what Anne, Beth, Chris, Dave, and. Ethan, I think, are the names. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan, Dan Clark, who, who wrote the game, I spent a lot of time thinking about those names. If you think about it, Anne and Beth, girls' names, Chris, either or, um, and then Dave and Ethan, boys' names. So um, a lot of thought goes into making sure that people know that everyone is invited to play these games. And here we thought they named Chris and Dave after they met us at Gen Con. (laughs) Fever dreams, Dave. Fever dreams. I know, I know. So, um, okay, so hey, we got a whole ton of questions about uh, like a bunch of emails and and, um, private messages and a couple of posts wanting to know where you get your art from, just basically. Um, we have a database full of contact information for freelance artists. And so when we have a project, um, so for like the core book, knowing that the core book is coming up, um, when I know that the core book is coming up, I know approximately how many pieces are going into it. Um, so in that way, I figure out sort of how I want it to look. And then go through and make a list of uh, the people who I would like to have uh, make art for it for me. So and that includes going to the internet and scouting and finding portfolios that fit. Do you have like a, a rudimentary, you know, the, the uh, this guy can do this type of art, this guy can do this type of art, you know. Um, Absolutely. In your database and whatnot. So you kind of narrow that search field before you really get going. Well, it is loosely in the database, but it's mostly in our brains gotcha. from from experience before. Um. Okay. Um, also on the, the topic of the search for art, we have a question uh, that came in from another listener, Drig, mm-hmm. who is a uh, fairly prolific artist over on Swag, which is the Star Wars Artist Guild. And he has this. He says, I have a question for Zoe. That's you. Okay. First off, I want to thank you guys for uh, getting an art director on the show. 
You guys cover so much about the design process and game theory that it's nice to hear about another element of the RPG production process. I'm wondering what it is they look for in an artist when designing a book. I myself am an aspiring digital artist, and I have never really worked up the nerve to apply. I I know several individuals that produce quality Star Wars art and dream of working on something Star Wars related, but only stay with digital art as a hobby. Any pointers for us? The art design on Edge has been top-notch. Well... What is it that really, it, it all pretty much comes down to the arts. Oh, I spent a lot of time going through portfolios and going through previous work to make sure that it matches up with, um, with what we're looking for. Um, so if you, I mean, with, if you go through the products and you look through the art and sort of look at your stuff and match to it, um, and, and you feel like you belong in the product by all means uh you know put together a digital portfolio and and send it to me um my email is z robinson r-o-b-i-n-s-o-n at fantasyflightgames.com you realize you're gonna get a slew of emails after this right i always get a slew of emails Uh, (laughs) but i mean i i'm uh, we're all pretty busy in the art department, so we might not be able to actually respond to it, but we do look at at all the um the submissions that go that go through um, I tell artists a lot to to learn to see their own art because i mean if you if you do the the research and and look through a product, you can pretty well tell like if if your if your style if your portfolio is going to fit in. Um, mm. If you know you can do something that fits in, but you don't have anything in your portfolio that fits in, you know, preemptively cut that off at the pass and paint something that fits in and send it to me. Mm. It's, I, I don't know. A, a lot of people are, it, it, it's, it's a hard career to get into. I mean, being an artist is, it can be a very tough life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, these, my artists work so hard for me. They they work really really hard, and they work for uh, very little money. Yeah. Freelance art is 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 brutal. Hence and the starving artist, right? Okay, so we're kind of leading to this, but you talk about you know as, as we talk about portfolios and 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 the style you're going for. Let's let's talk about that, Zoe. Let's talk about the style of the art. What I find personally to be so great about uh, the art for Edge is that it has this cohesive feel that I'll be frank, uh, you didn't, we, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm I'm not going to call a baby ugly, but uh, because I I always enjoyed the art for the last Star Wars RPG saga, but you would pick up a book and you would see art of radically different styles um, and, and, and in some, in some cases quality. Um, A lot of it sort of just, just, conglomerated together and I really haven't seen that in in the products that have been released to date. And and this cohesive feel as you say it's very Star Warsy, but at the same time at least for this it's it's very edgy, no pun intended, and very very gritty. Um 
And it almost looks like, it, I, I swear to God, like some of these, I'm like, did Ralph McQuarrie do this? It almost looks like the, you know, that style of that, of, of the print, you know? Um, I mean, talk to me a little bit about, about the, the style and the cohesiveness and, and what your goals were. And is, is that a conscious thing on your part or does it just happen? Well, I mean, I've been, I've been doing art management in art direction for, for, for reflex. You don't, don't think about it, but I mean, I'm, I am a lifelong diehard Star Wars nerd. So when you say a lot of stuff looks like Ralph McQuarrie, well, yeah, we love Ralph Macquarie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you you try to figure out, you know, what the, the essence of Star Wars is, and then you hire people who understand that. Um or people who um who can be instructed into understanding that, can be led mm. to um and then you assign the correct the, the right artists the the pieces that they're gonna have the most fun with like um when i <laughs> when i first started talking to tony um was for the the card game actually um and i just sort of handed him a, I, I can't remember what the card was but um it came back so amazingly and lovingly rendered that um because he he is such a fan of star wars that it, it becomes a, like, ooh, what do I, I, I wish I could see this character as, as envisioned by Tony. Um, mm. So, and I, and I fortunately have that, pa- that, have that power to be able to say, hey, Tony, uh, can I get you to, you know, so that's, uh, that's very fun. He's in, he's in chat right now and he's, he's saying Han and Leia. Those are the first two cards. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that sounds about right. Uh, so, Go ahead. For I and I've played so many role playing games myself that um, like the the map of the Crate Fang. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, when we played the the the, the, the after that very first uh, playtesting session, when Dan was like, you know, I just sort of threw a storyline together. I want to run it past you guys and see if it see if it works. Um, by the end of that session, we we knew that we really wanted a, um, what I like to call it a dollhouse. Um, I, all the guys I know call it terrain, but whatever. Um, (laughs) it's, it's a dollhouse as far as I'm concerned. Um, just, uh, sort of almost a, a playset home base where you go and, and I, for some reason it was really, really important to me that it have a refresher. Like, just because it bothers me when, you know, I don't Where's mind, like, like in TV and, 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 uh, movies, sure. No bathroom. That's fine. But for some reason in role-playing games, I, I, I want a refresher. <laughs> okay. We're, we're on the, we're in hyperspace for a week. Where's the bathroom? Right. Exactly. My, my captain does most of her best thinking in the refresher, right? Like, so. <laughs> oh, okay. That's awesome. Um, okay. In, in regards to the, the, the style, um, mm-hmm. you know, I mentioned before that, that there's, you know, when you look at for edge of the empire specifically, it's got a very, it's very star Warsy, but at the same time, unlike some other star Wars art, it all has this. And it, you said, you know, you obviously want to capture the same feel and all the art, but it has this very gritty edgy feel to it. 
Um, was that intentional due to the nature of the book? There are um, a couple reasons to that. Um, one of them is our wonderful graphic design team. Now, what I do is I get the um, the sort of the the art and raw form, no frames around it, um, nothing like that. I just get the art from the artists, and then we hand it off to um, our graphic design team, who then figures out how it gets laid out in the book and how the text goes over it. And and so a lot of the um, the the fades and and the the way it bleeds into the text that's all that's all graphic design so I really I, I, mm-hmm. I they are very um, they put a lot of work into making this stuff look even more amazing so you see yeah. I don't I don't think about things like that because I'm not an artist but it's like you it, it's not just the art it's the way in which the art is laid out it's the it's it's the effects you add to it after the fact you know. That you're, and I'm looking. I'm I'm literally paging through the beta book right now. And as you're saying that, I'm like, damn, she's right. So that's, that's they they do a lot. Um, that that does a lot for giving that grit to it. Um, yeah. Um, another thing is our our <laughs> like for the past few years, I've been um, I've been art directing Warhammer 40k books. So, um. You're you're used to the grit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is like frolicking puppies comparatively. So, um, when when I heard gritty, you said, "Oh, this looks really gritty." I went, "Huh? I guess yeah. I guess it is." Yeah, <laughs> it, uh, it's downright fearful in my book. So, uh, is and I, I guess what I'm getting at is like. Uh, is that is that same feel and style going to carry? And you may or not be able to talk about this, or it, may, it could all be conjecture at this point. But for uh, outside of Edge of the Empire, for the future books, do you know? I mean, is that same gritty style going to carry forward, or will that that layout design style be modified to suit the theme of that particular core book set? You know these these projects, especially core books, are um, I like to think of them as as. Uh, as as babies kind of like you know it's a, a third trimester pro- uh, project right like it's kicking you know it's a real project <laughs> it's gonna happen but uh it, it, everything grows organically I mean, there there are plans and then um the edge of the empire got to one point where it was almost done and then got looked at it and went nope nope and then we went back and came at it visually in a completely different way so you you never know it might. It might be different. I mean, that's those are decisions made by uh, a whole bunch of people, and it's a, it's a very organic process. But our our goal is to to make it as as awesome as possible. So I, I just I got back to the um, I got back into the headphones just as I heard third trimester and then basically abortion. No. <laughs> not, not not abortion. We just hold off on the pregnancy. We delay the birth. Oh, 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 gotcha. Okay. All right. So, okay, on this note, and you've kind of already talked about some of the Zoe, uh, but but there's also, I, I, we got our, our third question that came in for you um, comes from, from one of our new listeners, Deuterium Ice. Um, and he also mentioned something that kind of relates back to something you talked about a few minutes ago. 
And his question was thus. He says, so I've only seen the beginner's box, but the art in it is very well themed. It's so gritty, as he puts it, but also teeth-achingly pretty. Oh, thank um, you. The thing I'd love to know is how you keep a product line with a single theme and high quality, especially without descending, as he puts it, into the beefcake slash cheesecake of things like classic D&D. Hmm. So I, I, I should specify um, that visually role-playing games, I think, I think have been changing quite a bit in the past decade. Mm. Um, D&D, I mean, John Shindahedi and his team, Kate, Kate Irwin, those, those guys, they, they put in a lot of work. They, they do, they do good, good work. So, um, it's, it's hard to, to just disregard everything as saying beefcake and cheesecake. Cause I don't, I don't think that's, that's quite fair. Um, and I know, um, I was actually just talking about, uh, this with Sarah Robinson, no relation at all, who's the art director at, at Paizo and, for Pathfinder. And she talks about um, how Paizo, how each, each of the canon characters, is, for, um, is to appeal to a, you know, a different section of gamer. Um, so it's hard to, it's hard to just um, disregard things as... as, as not worth it because they're they're cheesecakey or beefcakey. For for my take, um, I feel very intensely that, um, especially for something like Star Wars, that you can make something be incredibly awesome or incredibly sexy without all the the cheesecake. Um, and well, what that- I didn't what I didn't say earlier is that when I when I saw the picture of Oscara. I just wanted to bang her immediately. Right. <laughs> but that she, is that is far she, from cheesecake. <laughs> she probably shoot you in the face, but Exactly. Uh, that's what the appeal is. I'm a masochist. What can I say? <laughs> um, and that <clears throat> and that's really um I as a gamer, I really like to have these characters be people who I, I would like to be sort of um, different forms of escapism, you know, the ideal selves. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and um, especially for Star Wars, where I think we're going to have a lot of people who have never role-played before. Or, um, you know, if you, were, if you were 30 when Star Wars came out, you're, you're in your 60s now. Mm. So um, I think it, there's a really, really broad audience and I think that the best way to approach that audience is to make things that are awesome, but at the same time, classy, so that um, <laughs> so that it doesn't uh, sort of jar people out of their experience. Now, it's interesting you say that, that a lot of first-timers. Star Wars, it, it really does tend to be the, the introductory, you know, Kool-Aid, doesn't it? I mean, I've introduced more people to the entire hobby through Star Wars role-playing than anything else. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that was my experience when I was 12. 
it just I, I love it. It's it's like it's like the it's like the RPG glue. It it uh it's it's what you it's, it's 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 the first hit, you know. It's yeah, this one's free. The next one will cost you though. Well and and the the universe is so the 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 nature of the Star Wars universe is, is sort of become such a culture thing for not just geek culture that um it's very familiar for people to play in. And there's no you don't have to read a whole bunch of books to understand how to behave when you're in a cantina or um, to know what's going on when you're, it's, it's just a really, really wonderful um, way to share gaming with people who haven't necessarily done it before. Now, back to the, the talking about the style of the art, you know, you mentioned, you know, you, you have a a rough idea of of how many illustrations you need when you're doing this kind of production planning. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you, or, or who, or how, how do you guys decide which area of the book needs an illustration, what doesn't, you know, things like, I mean, I mean, is it, is it, is, are there hard and fast rules like, okay, we need an illustration for every species, or, you know, vehicle, or something like that. How do you, you know, are there, are there, any, are there any guidelines or rules you follow when you're doing that, that, that design decisioning? That is not my job. Hallelujah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, um... Yeah, I primarily work with the artists and pull out, uh, pull the needs from the producer once they figure it out. I know that they have a, a formula of uh, frequency of art, and once they get the layout, they can sort of figure out what, um, you know, if there's something new, they want that illustrated, this chapter's about this, so we know we want this many pieces, and it also goes back to budget, like what, right. um, so since they have the, the producers of the game, and the the um, they do the sort of game development, take the the raw rules and you know get the writing done and and sort of are the main nerve center of the project. Since they have that bird's eye view of everything, it's much easier if they make those decisions. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> I talk to them after they've figured that out. Gotcha. Um, so gotcha. a lot of a lot of information goes into making those decisions. Uh, understandably, absolutely yeah. understandably. So I'd kind of like to transition mm-hmm. up, uh, a little bit and, and get your artistic design mind into this um, because you've been hinting at it with some of the things you talked about in some of the stories. I, I think using art in your home games is is essential. Um, I think I think a lot, I don't I don't think nearly enough people do it, and I think it adds tremendous value to the game you play and wh- whether that's art that you dri- you dig up as a GM or art uh, hopefully provided by the game itself. Um, you know, we all understand and feel the impact of the art in the book and it, it makes us excited to play. It puts us in the universe, you know, that highly accessible universe you know, we're already excited to be in. But so many players, GMs, they forget that art can have this strong impact when you're actually playing. So I'd kind of like to talk about how, how we can bring art into our games and, and use it in your own games. Um, starting off with the question of, of, of when, to use, when to use art, when to, when to get that creative inspiration. And so if you're listening and you're, you're, you're already drinking my Kool-Aid at this point and you're saying, yeah, this is, I, I agree with you 100%, the, the next question I guess we have to ask ourselves is when we should be pouring that Kool-Aid into our players' cups. Um, and, and, and when should art be used? I mean, in, in your games and your, when you play, um, I mean, where, where, where do you see it fitting? 
Well, I mean, I'm a little bit spoiled because um, just a tad. <laughs> <laughs> well, like um, for the, the campaign that I play in the most, the um, Crate Frank Fang, which we ended up renaming Scott Free, um, nice. is the the home base. So, you know, and I'm the captain, and it's you know. Scotty's my baby, and so so I, I sort of have that built-in map that I can use um, all the time. So that's a little bit spoiling. Um, also, I know in when I was sort of a proto-gamer on my West End 2nd Edition uh, campaign that my friends and I would fill like a sketchbook a month just drawing our... our um, drawing a comic book basically of, of our campaign. Um, so creating your own art for it is, I, I think a, a really, a really good outcome for it. Like, you know, well, if, if I were to do that, uh, my players would be looking at stick figures. So it's not, you know, but that's me. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess in our games, what we tend to do is more of, um, like here, this TV remote represents, you know, this one thing and the stick of gum represent you. So we do more of the, the, the visual, oh. model, the, the relative, uh, relative modeling. Um, I honestly, well, yeah, you, you talked about maps, you know, that you have the map of, of, of you know, of the great Fang and, and that, you know, that it's that home base that's always there for you. I mean, I think, I think maps are like obvious and I know edge of the empire doesn't need maps to play, but mm-hmm. you know, as you, your story says, I have yet to talk to a player or a GM that's actually played Edge of the Empire and said they didn't enjoy having a map. Uh, I mean, my, my GMs usually, when they're, they're doing their world, build, world building and game planning, they draw a little... I mean, it, it doesn't have to be, um, be a masterpiece in order to be you know, useful or helpful. There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you know, a quick topographical um, sketch of, you know, what you're thinking about. That this, is, this is true. But if it is a beautifully rendered masterpiece, oh. um, I mean, that can, that can set the scene as well as any piece of art. You talk about, you know, something as simple as having a fresher in, in the ship. <laughs> it, I don't know. It, it adds a sense of, uh, yeah, I, I mean, stuff like that. And um, I, I had, I love using maps in Edge of the Empire. You know, the first few games we played, we went mapless. It was all, you know, theater of the mind. And um, then I started doing some more online games and started using maps, you know, in Roll20 and uh, Roll20.net. And it was it just made such a huge difference. Um, and there's so many amazing Star Wars maps that are out there, um, obviously, already uh, that can just be used. And, and it's, um, you know, but I know we'll, we'll talk about that here in a bit. But uh, so what about... Um, what are your thoughts on portraits? I mean, this is the one thing that in terms of, of home game play, I, I think people will arguably find more of than anything else in terms of Star Wars art that's out there in the interwebs, especially. Um, artists like who play in the Star Wars sandbox, you know, as a hobby, realize that that sandbox and, and the Star Wars galaxy as a whole was built upon stories about very strong and interesting characters and those struggles. And, and thus, characters' portraits tend to make up a large part of the art. Um, I mean, what do you feel about, I mean, how important is it for a PC to know what their character looks like, to have that portrait there um, as, as a visual reference? Do you think it adds anything? 
I think um, it depends on the player. Some people are mm-hmm. are going to need that. Uh, others won't even have thought about it. Um, I think one of the things that I feel very strongly about is that there tends to be a lot of um, very innocent and very non-malicious art thievery these days, mm. where uh, people will go to an artist's site. Again, artists work so hard for so little money and will just kind of rip the image off and use it wherever, especially online that becomes problematic because then other people see that it's cool and rip, uh, rip that up. So it's um, permissions, fair use, and credit are, are um, kind of all uh, hotspots mm-hmm. with, um, with artists and with art directors just because you know, we're protective of our people and they sure deserve credit. So if you... Let's see. One, if there's a piece that you find on the net that you absolutely love, um, try to figure out who did it. <laughs> there should be, usually there'll be some information on, on the picture itself, or it, you'll, it'll have directions back to a website or whatever. Uh, artists are really great to, to talk to, and they're, I, they're usually always very good with email. Um, the contact information is usually always on their website. Um, so, I mean, it never hurts to ask, like, hey, do you mind if I use this in my, my game? Um, if you post up on the web saying, like, I've been using this, this thing, make sure, make absolute sure you get permission to do that. Um, and if you do get permission, make sure you credit it. This, this is a, uh, you can't see me, obviously, but I am, I am nodding my head very strongly as you're talking. Uh-huh. Um, you know, in in the industry we work, uh, you know, piracy is such a big issue, and, and this this is not this is not an industry at all where you get rich. <laughs> no, no, everyone who's in this industry is in it because they love it. Exactly. Um, so it, it's it's one of those things, and it's it's not hard to contact an artist. It's really not, um, it, especially. And I know we're talking about some places where GMs can go in and look. Uh, you know, these places, may, we, we, the ones we've included. It is ridiculously easy to contact the artist um, in, in most cases, but yeah, it's 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 the courtesy, it's fair use. Even if you're just using it for your home game, even if you're just you know you're, you're it's not it's not you're not distributing, it's not compensation. It's it's the guy's art. You know what yeah. I mean? It's their livelihood. It's yeah. their livelihood. Yeah. You, you got to be respectful of that. Um, so, so so that's why I've sort of been hesitating with like when using art in. In, in your home game, like, well, it's, <laughs> it, hmm. I, I, and, and this is the kind of thing I wanted to talk to you guys about because so many people do this, but I don't think many people do it the right way. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and so it, it helps when you have a product <laughs> that has amazing art in it that you can actually flip and go, it looks, it looks like that. Um, uh, you know, but, you know, so, sometimes you know you, you got You got to search out. Um, I know. Uh, uh, are you familiar, you're familiar with Sam Witwer, who you know guessed it on episode two. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the actor. He in his home games. I know he's he's sourced out a lot of art uh, for his for his home games. But it's one of those things that he's contacted artists. He's sourced the art, and it's it's uh, you know I want you to make this for me. Can you do that? Um, you know, doing it the right way. Yes. 
that's definitely um, the, the ideal right way to do it. You know, I never really had a full appreciation for that until we um, got into the industry ourselves because, you know, as we, the, in, in eons, and we've talked about in Edition Wars, you know, um, we're also working on several other games as well, and one of them is going to be pretty art-intensive, and the search for the artist and making sure that we're not, um, you know, utilizing any, you know, materials that may otherwise have been, you know, or we should be compensating someone else or, you know, it, it's it's just such a, I don't know what I'm really trying to say here. I just, uh, I've become much more cognizant of the fact that the artists need to make a living and, you know, that we can help make that happen. And a lot of people just don't think about it until all of a sudden they're in the position of, of, of creating something and then watching it get bootlegged. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and this is something I, I got in the habit of a little while ago. And it, it was after, after I had a, a, a fellow gamer uh, turn me on to, to Swag, the Star Wars Artist Guild. He said, you know, if you're looking for some stuff for your games, there's some really good stuff on there, but you need to email the artist. And I have yet to uh, contact an artist and say, hey, man, I really like this. I was wanting to know if I could use it in my home game. I have yet to have someone tell me, no, no, <laughs> no, it's mine. Leave it alone. It's, it's always, you know, I've had one or two that would be like, okay, well, what are you going to do with it? I'm like, I'm going to display it on my computer monitor for people to see how cool this hut crime lord looks. And like, oh, yeah, that's totally cool. Just let them know that I drew it. And uh, it's like, absolutely. And so it's. Yeah, isn't it funny that most of them, all they want is some credit. You know, you, you, you put credit. their well, name well, on well, it or whatever. If, if you want to get into this professionally, Zoe, it's, it's, I mean, I, I, he, I, he says as he turns to you, um, you know, and you're, you're, you're a hobby artist and you're starting in grassroots, that word of mouth can get you noticed by people. So, I mean, that's certainly a part of it, but it comes down to being respectful of the artist's work and their livelihood. Right. Yes, the the respect is a is a big a, is a big thing. Credit is credit is huge. Um, it, it's um, I, I really can't understate how much work goes into one piece of art um, for you know Star Wars especially. I mean, there's so much attention to detail. I've gotten the question. Okay, in that the the rebel troopers from the first scene of A New Hope, um, do those guys have buttons on their shirts? <laughs> Which is a good question because then I have it, it's to go, a very good question. Yes, I have to go look that up. You know, watch the movie frame by frame because you know we have to make sure that that things line up with canon. So, and and that's just the research part of it. Then comes you know all the it, it just it's incredibly time consuming and once you put the license into it um it's not a wow i grew this do this great thing and now i get money for it woohoo it's i drew this great thing i turn it in the art director has notes who sends it back and and now i have to redraw it and then i redraw parts of it again and now i'm okay to go ahead with the final so i put hours and hours and hours into it and then i get more notes and then I do it again. And then I get more notes. And then everyone's happy with it. And then they send it to Lucasfilm. And, you know, if Lucasfilm has changes that they want made, then I have to make those too. So, so it, 
every little piece of art, at least in, in, in our products, has just a lot of blood that's gone into it. Um, so being respectful of that is, is always very appreciated uh, by both us and the artists. Well, you know, and we, we had a lot of questions coming into this and, and talking about, you know, if, if people want to use art in their games because they find it, you know, where, where, where can I go? How can, and you say, how can I go ahead and do this the right way? We've already talked about swag. We've already talked about the Star Wars Artist Guild, which is, you know, swagonline.net. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only can you view, you know, for our listeners, not only can you guys view portfolios and, and see preview samples of a particular artist's work, but it makes it ridiculously easy through the push of a button to then contact that artist Mm-hmm. Um, if this is something you want to do um, and, and something you want to source. Um, uh, you guys, uh, our listeners might know uh, GM Dom, who who has guested on our show a couple times, good friend of mine, has commissioned several pieces uh, from Swag. Um, and, you know, in, 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 in it's been an extremely reasonable process for him. Um, there's a few other resources you can do for art that's not necessarily art. Um, and there's, you know, one I really want to talk about um, and I, we talk about fair use and legal ramifications and stuff like that. Using actual uh, live action snippets of the Star Wars film, <laughs> like a picture of Jabba the Hutt, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, is something that a lot of gamers do. And, and those images um, are, are everywhere. Um, they're, they're absolutely everywhere. Um, Wiki, Wikipedia, of course, the, the Star Wars Wiki, um, has probably the largest collection of single frames I haven't come across on the internet, um, and 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 easily searchable. Um, but I you know, use it for research a lot. Yeah, um, and uh, an absolutely fantastic website. Um, so there are these channels, and you guys go through it. You go through it the right way, but then you come down to actually using art in your game when you have it and you've gotten it the right way, you've got that, that perfect image of the slimy crime boss, you know, or, or, or landscape. Talk about landscapes. I'm a huge fan of landscapes. Do you remember when you were playing West End Games and you'd open up a book and there would be like this, this picture of the seedy underbelly of the city or the cantina itself, you yeah. know? And, and that great sit- 90s ink art, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the black and white 90s ink art. Um uh, you know, but that really set the tone. I love images like that, um, you know, using them in your game. So how do you show it to your players once you've got it? Oh, um, yes. And, you know, I, I figure you got two options, right? You put it up on a screen or you, or you put it on paper. Um, you know, electronic display at home is getting easier and easier. This used to be the domain of just wealthy gamers with cool tools, and it's now, you know, easy. It could be something as simple as dragging a laptop or a PC monitor to the table to display your images um, that you've gotten. Uh, you know, I remember one time I even hooked my television up to my laptop for, like, a super large display. I mean, those cables cost, like, five to ten bucks. Um, but for all of you listening, there's some good electronic resources out there that I have used in the past and that other gamers have used to share maps that you guys have um, or, or other art that you've gotten that you want to share. Um, Roll20.net, we've pimped out before. It's amazing. Um, Fantasy Grounds, uh, another fantastic one I can recommend, although it, it, there is an expense to it. it is a, there is a monthly subscription. But I also want to pimp out another free resource that a listener of our own podcast, Jacob Kalin, who is actually the actual graphic designer who created the D20 Radio logo five Uh, years ago. Ah, yes. 
Mad um, props to Jacob. Mad props to Jacob. Um, he developed this this program, and it's it's still in beta, but it's free to the public, and he's looking for feedback to make it even better. It's called RPG Ambience or Ambience, and uh, it, it's a free browser based media player that lets the game master bring their sessions really to life with sounds and visuals, and it allows you to create pages with background graphics that you can add in, images that you have, uh, but also sound and music files you have that can be set to loop. Uh, and you, you can like smoothly navigate through these pages as the game progresses. Um, and Jacob built this version for himself he's been using for years, and he's now released this browser-based version compatible with Chrome and Firefox like for free for all of us. So if you want to check that out, go to rpg-ambience.com to check that out, watch the tutorial, play around with it. Um, you know, but then again, there's always paper. <laughs> you can oh, always yeah. pull out the book and go, look, it looks like that. Old school. Old school. So it's there. Um, but you know, nobody thinks about this stuff. So nobody thinks about the, the, and it, it's a shame. Many people don't think about the level of, of dedication and work that has to come from artists and the design to make this all a reality. And we all feel the impact of it in our games. We feel it when we read the books. But this is, you know, so like some of our listeners said, this is an avenue of the production design that I don't think enough people are attuned to. And they need to be because it's important. Well, I like to think it's important anyway. Well, but you're biased. <laughs> I, I am a little biased. I like flavor text what's flavor text uh, yeah um i was uh, looking at the the chat uh when i say i use uh wikipedia for 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 research i do use wikipedia for re- we have holocrons i just don't have direct access in order to look something up in the holocron i have to go interrupt somebody else who's working and have them look something up so it's a lot easier for me to figure out exactly what it is I need them to confirm first and to do that I, I use my Google phone. Right. I mean Wikipedia is so comprehensive these days that I I mean just for general questions you know I, that probably will suffice. But we're really intense about being um, being correct with the IP um, the the X-Wing um, miniatures have had a lot of, of time and energy put into making sure that everything is to scale and everything's in the right place and the details are correct. And it's very important to, to me, at least, to make sure that that attention to detail, if we are showing two ships in a map, it's very important to me that they be um, to scale with each other in actual, for real, Lucasfilm canon scale. Um, so, is that the Imperial March playing there? Uh, it's uh, Han Solo and the Princess that's running underneath the. Uh, yeah, see, Dave likes to put beds underneath, like when we have guests talking and stuff. It's very awesome. But, he, like, one will end and he'll forget to start one again. So, we'll have, like, an hour of discussion where there's nothing playing. And then all of a sudden, one pops up and it's like, what the hell's that? Oh! Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's the way it goes. <laughs> Yeah, so we went through, uh, yeah, we, we did the Cantina Band after the Battle of the Heroes and General Grievous, and then that was about, I don't know, 45 minutes ago. And then, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, crap, I got a... Damn it, I forgot a bed. Shit. That's a failed perception roll on my part. Uh. <laughs> no, it was not a failed perception roll at all, actually. 
okay. Yeah, I hadn't been playing. It was a failed, failed computer's role by Dave. Yeah, I mean, this the song had been going for about two and a half minutes before it got to a loud part where you could actually hear it. But you'll yeah. you'll you'll actually hear the bed on the podcast a whole lot better than you hear it through your Skype. So it's funny. <laughs> Yeah. Um, hmm, I had thought it's gone now. Never mind. I, I had a point. I'm sure it was. It was very profound, but I've forgotten it. See, the music messed you up, and now Skype is messing you up pretty bad yeah, too. Yeah. Is it? Is it again? Uh, I apologize. I, not your fault. It's uh, you know, it, it is. It is Skype being Skype, and that's you know, we we roll with the punches that Skype gives us. I, you know, it, it cracks me up. It's like, these are good problems to have. Do you realize that, like, well, I mean, heck, six or seven, no, it's, it's ten years ago, the possibility of having uh, three people that live in completely different cities talk to each other real time on the Internet was kind of a pipe dream that, or, or, or a very expensive one. Yeah, I know. When, we, when I first started podcasting, you literally had to open, um, I had to get, or I would have had to get full duplex equipment to run phone lines through to be able to talk to somebody. Wow. You know, and that was before Skype and before Uvu and before a Google Plus and the Google Hangouts and all that stuff. And, you know, I dang near did it uh, when I was doing my NASCAR podcast to have guests on the show. And then ultimately I didn't. I just um, I just found a way to record a telephone conversation and then plug it into the podcast later. But, yeah, it um, it's funny how we've progressed in a matter of five to ten years. And I'm sitting here going through my uh, my R files on my on my tablet on my iPad. So yeah, it's, it's really nice to live in the future. I like it here. <laughs> hey, all I can say is, according to Robert Zemeckis, we're supposed to have hoverboards in like two years and flying yeah. cars. So where's my flying cars? Wasn't yeah, that, I don't know. I'm okay with uh, smartphones over flying cars. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll buy that, too. I want my DeLorean that runs on garbage, damn it. <laughs> Mr. Fusion. God. Oh, man. Well, Zoe, thank you so much for coming on and sharing a part of this amazing process with us. Um, as I said, you know, uh, it's something that, that we all need to be more cognizant of and aware of about what all goes into the art design for these games that we absolutely love to play. Um, and I just want to thank you for taking your time to share your world with us. So, excited about what we're going to see. See, that's what happens on Skype right there. See, did what? you? <laughs> you you were like, I, I just wanted to take your take a time to share your, and then oh. you just dropped right. <laughs> oh well. Well, am I back? Yeah, but no, you're not. We can't hear you at all. But yeah, I, damn it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, no, I, I, I was saying thank you for. I, I thank you very much for having me on. I I uh, I love to talk, and I could sure talk Star Wars RPG and yeah you know, forever. I could just keep talking about it. So. Okay, well, if 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 you're down and you've got the time, would you like to stick around for post show and maybe talk a little bit about some of those campaigns you're playing in? Sure, absolutely. Excellent. <laughs> Well, as you can hear the, the sad piano music, um, we come to the end of another wondrous episode. Uh, big thanks to our listeners. Big thanks, of course, to our, our segment providers, Crimson Steel, Phil, Fiddleback, um, and a big thanks to Zoe. Um, guys, we want you to get to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums. We want you to post up on the Order 66 boards and let us know what you'd like us to talk about. We already have several suggested show topics in the pipe. 
um, and some special guests planned. Uh, so get to the boards and let us know. Email us while you're at it, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com. And get to the phones and leave us a liner. Tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast. You can, of course, call us at 262-D20-RADIO. That's right. That's 262-320-7234 for those of you scoring at home. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you for those at home. Who were you trying to impersonate there? Uh, that was nothing. That was, just, that was just me talking weird. Okay. <laughs> not, like that, uh, not like that gomer I heard over there in, uh, in uh, Arkansas that, I'm, that I would make fun of. Ah. Uh. I thought about gotcha. doing a whole bit in that voice, so you know. We'll, I'm uh, glad. I'm glad you changed that thought. Hey, that voice is a funny voice. Makes my wife laugh all the time. <laughs> but it's your wife. She has to laugh at you. Oh hell! <laughs> <laughs> oh, gamer nation! Thank you all. We will see you in two weeks. Keep your eyes on Kickstarter. And watch for the coming of eons. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. Uh, and this is Dave saying, keep them dice a rolling. Yeah, that. This is Crimson Photog, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast at work. That checkling here for my cube, it's the spreadsheet. It's really funny, I swear. This is Darth Jerk. And on my super weapon, no one listens to the Order 66 podcast. Because it went so gloriously over budget, I had to cut all the Hollownet terminals. Ha! This podcast and related website are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, the Walt Disney Corporation, 20th Century Fox, or Fantasy Flight Games. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names, pictures, or references to any Star Wars vehicles, characters, or other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited, Fantasy Flight Games, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio, visual, or textual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast and the Gamer Nation LLC. show. Uh, it's time for post-show, boys and girls. Post-show. Okay, girl, so you said you were playing in how many campaigns right now? Three, right now. <laughs> right now, yes. Of just uh, of Edge of the Empire. I got a few other more different, not Edge of the Empire role-playing games going on. but. Okay, what else do you play? Um, let's see. The ladies at the office just started our uh, uh, Dresden Files campaign. That, oh, uh, yeah. The, the new um, designer in the RPG department is uh, Katrina Ost... Oh, gosh, what is her last name? Katrina! <laughs> She's the new girl. She's awesome. She'll be working on the Star Wars lines. 
Um, so she's uh, GMing for us. Right. So it's very fun. And I'm looking forward to the Fate system and Dresden Files. And, uh, Dude, it's, it's a great game. It's amazing. Yeah, the... I was really, uh, we had a blast coming up with the, the Minneapolis-St. Paul world building. Dude. But yeah, so I'm in three Edge of the Empire games right now. Um, so, one, yes, tell us, tell us. Yeah, one of them uh, started out with the, that, that first, it's the, the GM is, is uh, Dan Clark, who wrote for the, the, beta, the beginner game. And uh, <laughs> it just sort of kept going. It, uh, we started out with a playtest of just his ideas for the beginner game, and it just kept going, and we still play. Um, so that's that's been very very fun. Another one uh, is the we go every other week with the FFG RPG department, and Sam Stewart is the GM for that. I think that's winding down. Um, and then the other one, I'm GMing. Which is uh, exciting. Ooh. Although, Are, I get to cheat what because can, uh. since, you know, everyone who's playing contributed to the rules, I, I can just sort of go like, hey guys, what should we roll here? <laughs> so, I, I've heard I've heard that, uh, that, uh, that Jay is a notorious rules lawyer. Is that true? <laughs> I'm I'm making that up, by the way. I, I haven't. So, like, I haven't experienced that from Jay at all. I, uh, playing with Jay, he and I are always much more um, story oriented. Yeah, so yeah, and that's much... the funny thing is all the interaction that we've had with Jay is that if anything, he's a story monger as opposed right. to a rules lawyer. You know, yes. so I mean, that was there's nothing that I could say in my feeling anyway of never having gamed with him. Uh, 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 what I think would be further from the truth, but um, yeah, I, I I did hear that you won the uh, that you won the office vote on most likely to kick his ass though. <laughs> well, I suppose it depends on the context. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's nah. His wife could break me in half, man. <laughs> See, smart. Very smart. <laughs> Very smart. Um, so, okay, from from the Edge games you've played so far, hell, from all your Star Wars gaming experience, going back to Wick. Okay, the ten year old kleptomaniac is a pretty badass story. That's it's for the, really fun. That that's freaking awesome. Do you have a favorite character you've played or or have run or have GM'd for, or a favorite moment you'd like to share with us in your Star Wars gaming? Let's see. Um, I really love being the the captain, uh, like being the the captain pilot of of my ship. Mm. My sh- I have a very special relationship with my ship. It's well, you it's did call ship. it Scotty. <laughs> yeah, Scotty. Yeah, my Scotty. He's often called baby or sweetheart or you know whatever. That's awesome. <laughs> Term of endearment comes off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, Scotty, me. We go way a lot, but uh, um, that's a group of what five of us. That uh, group is very fun because we don't really have any any muscle. We do. We have one player who 
drops in occasionally that when he's there, he melts everything. But it's mostly like we have a a um, a merchant, a Bothan merchant, uh, who is so wonderfully creative at approaching problems sideways. Um, for example, we had a um, a sort of a Timo hatchet man, basically, come up to us on, on a world and declare that Timo had part ownership of my ship and then could thereby order order us around as far as jobs go and deserved cuts. And I, of course, did not take very kindly to that. <laughs> but one of the rules on our ship is the talkie man does the talking. Um, so I <laughs> shut up and let the talkie man talk. And uh, he sort of talked to set of us and gave a time. And, and lo and behold, uh, in the orbit, in the orbit of the planet, is uh, the... ISB colonel who's been sort of following us around and we haven't quite figured out why he's interested in something. But anyway, he uh, needed us to do a job for him that he couldn't do himself. And as part of the negotiation, our Bothan merchant says, you know, very sweetly, oh, also I have a, a ship for your naughty list. And he hands over the, the transponder code for the the hatchet man who's been pestering us and won't let us get off planet. <laughs> so now he's got this legitimate criminal. So just that one that one smart move as far as, you know, playing the empire against another another criminal um it just got us out of so much trouble. It was it's really it's very fun. That's um, awesome. That's awesome. That that's that's bo- Bothan awesome. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> Awesome. And we, awesome. we had a situation where I ended up uh, same ISB colonel, uh, where we went to a party to sort of do the distraction thing while part of our team snuck in and stole something from the mansion where we were, and it turned out that the ISB was there. Who knew? Um, <laughs> who, who knew? Who knew? So uh, that was a fun, very um, sort of heist film kind of kind of session it was a actually it was a really good time um with a, a lot of a lot of people there trying to pretend that nothing was wrong uh with everyone playing head games with each other and sneaking around it was just a good time um anyway so that's the uh the smuggler campaign the scott free campaign which is is great um the one I, I'm still trying to figure out what to do with uh, with the one I'm GMing. I have a um, an ex trooper and a um, an ex trooper who used to be a Jedi hunter and a um, old sort of Jedi in hiding who somehow got out of Order Order sixty six who's been um, sort of teaching at frontier schools for the last 30 years who's so I, I have no idea how I'm going to get those two to be on the same team and working together, but it's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, so of the three games you're in, how many Jedi total did people try and create or force sensitives? We 
have a lot of sort of latent force sensitives. Like my little thief girl, my kleptomaniac thief girl is force sensitive. Um, but she doesn't understand what the force is. And um, so it's more of um, she'll, she uses she uses sense to figure out when people are paying attention to be better at stealing kind of thing. She doesn't realize she's doing it. Right. Okay. Um, the, <laughs> in the Scott free campaign, the boffin is the force sensitive. And so he keeps doing these things that, um, the rest of the crew just assumes are, a, are a boffin thing. He, he, you know. Well, I think what I, and this is actually a, a fairly serious question is, you know, of the, of the three campaigns you're in, you know, we, we see a lot of, and I, and, you know, rightly so, I, I do make fun of a lot of the guys that, that post the questions and, you know, forums mm-hmm. and all that. And I just, I, I, I take quick little jabs saying, hey, you know what? Jedi aren't supposed to be here yet. You know, wait two yeah. more books. Jedi, Jedi are coming, you know. And, and we get a lot of questions of, you know, how do you recreate Force Joke, like tonight, right? How do right. you, how do you recreate, mm-hmm. you know, Force Lightning? Can, how can you recreate? Last week we had Surge. And, you know, all these Jedi powers that, you know, and, and I say it flippantly saying they're not supposed to be there yet. You know, the, 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 the flavor of the game, the spirit of the game is that they're not supposed to be there yet. So do you guys, and this is what I'm curious about, is within the hallowed walls of Fantasy Flight, do they maintain the spirit of the game? Or, you know, are there a lot of people that are trying to create what are Jedis? Well, I mean... We have have the um, we've had the working files to play with, so I mean we have the force chapter <laughs> to use. Right. Uh, so I mean that that helps. Um, I know the the Jedi um, in the game the game that I'm GMing. He's playing as someone who's been so deep in hiding that his skills are very rusty. He hasn't really practiced in forever. And honestly, when Order 66 came around, he was basically an archives librarian. So um, his Jedi-ness is much more in, you know, lore. And he's much more of a scholar than than a uh, Jedi in the cinematic Jedi Knight sense. Um, and we, we really don't, if there are fully fledged Jedi skills used, they are usually used as in all the campaigns I've been in, they are usually used in, um, for antagonist NPCs. Um, the big scary guy that comes in and does something that nobody really understands and then leaves i mean we had uh one where our smuggler crew got hold of a lightsaber and had no idea what it was and after that episode we made the rule nothing that can haul the ship is allowed on the ship because yeah i just think that's a good idea not to let anything that can cut through a a ship to be on it when it's in deep space (laughs) Yeah, probably a good, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I, in... <laughs> you play with this little thing that you found, and all of a sudden it ignites and cuts a hole in the ship. 
Yeah, we refer to it as the flashlight. The flashlight. Nice. The glow rod. But, um, but yeah, we don't really have many people trying trying for fully fledged Jedi. I think maybe in some other groups they've done it just to see um, how far they can go. But for the most part, we all want to play with what we're 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 making. Like right, I, right. I keep going. Oh no, I want to be an explorer. Oh no, I want to. Uh, there's just we're all sort of wanting to play with the game as as it is. Um, I think I, uh, the way, at least you know, through the beta book and now through the beginner box set, I think there's so much to play with and learn and do and. You know, it makes for great storytelling. The the dice can take you in just about any direction that you care to go in, uh, just with a little bit of pre-planning. And, and, I'm, and by little bit, I mean like 15 minutes of pre-planning, just to say, you know, flow chart it out if you want to. Say, you know, if you get a threat or despair or whatever, you can go in this, you can take this little, you know, complication. You right. know, or, or, you know, and then, you know, plan accordingly also. You know, hey, a triumph is going to get them to go this way and bypass this next you know, part of the encounter or this next part of the adventure and, and you get additional clues that, that, you know, you get to leapfrog the cantina scene that you had set up, you know, or whatever. Right. But, you know, it's, I like, I like the freeform nature of what has been contained so far in the, in the, in the books and, and, and the, uh, in the game that I'll be free to kind of meander because that's, that's that would be my style of GMing and oh yeah oh yeah by the way I have an announcement about when my first game is going to be oh yeah yeah I, yeah. I but I'm not ready yet because um, next show God you're oh. like a ten year old with a Facebook <laughs> I know man <laughs> it's like, something know. horrible happened to me today don't ask I don't want to talk about it I know <laughs> isn't it isn't it Big podcasting. Yeah. I just I just can't commit to anything until after we get Eons out the door, you know. Yeah, that's fair. <clears throat> you know, but that's, uh, that's fair. That's fair. It's fair. But um, God, I've been so um uh I, oh oh God, I, I have to, I have to say um so Zoe, you know we we did we put out a couple episodes of uh, of some live play, uh, kind of a celebrity Skype game that we recorded for mm-hmm. Empire, right? I was I was like, oh man, I I wish I could play. <laughs> It sounded like a lot of fun. At this point, girl, I've got you tapped for the next celebrity game. If you're in, if you're interested. Oh, I'm totally in. Bing, Um, absolutely in. It's like Bing, boom. Um, uh, which is going to be bigger and better and better. Uh So I I planned this out as a as like a a, really a two part adventure, and the two episodes we released were really the the first part that we just had to break up for time constraints, right? In in terms of the actual podcast episodes. Um, and I have been like unable to get the second part played and consequently recorded yet because of all the people we had with their schedules um, and then mine, it's just been ridiculously hard. And so and for all you listeners who've been waiting on the second half of this, bear with me, please. We're trying our hardest to get it to work it together. It's like we thought we had a weekend worked out, but then Sterling had a gig and then there was another one. And it's like, well, oh, gee, Andy Hurley's going to be in L.A. recording. And it's like we couldn't do that. And we were talking about just this past week, but then I had a major fire breakout um, at work, and then we're struggling to get eons out the door. So it's just Sounds been familiar. Wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's been it's been kind of kind of wild and and crazy. Um, so we're shooting but, for April first. Yeah. <laughs> um, but ways. also, 
we we had we had I had a listener uh, on the FFG boards ask me. He says we had more post show discussion from that first session that we didn't include, and I've been trying to edit it through and release like a supplemental secondary episode just talking about post you know post game reactions from additional post game reactions from our players. Mm-hmm. And I apologize, guys. I still have yet to get that finished editing because everything has just been so crazy lately. But that will be coming definitely before the you know for you guys to consume before the next celebrity Skype amnesia episode happens yeah we'll look forward to that i I had i've had fun i had fun running that adventure and it's been great writing it too i've been wanting to do that concept like forever um so yeah it's been it's been fun so uh there's so many there's so many things i want to run so many games i want to do yes and i still have yet have yet to have the chance to play everything i've done with the system so far has been gming yeah, I um, say going through the art because uh, I'm working on the next few books right now. Um, every time something comes in, <laughs> there's another character that I want to play. Oh, I want to do that. Oh, I want to do play. Like, um, when the core book stuff, and they're in the beginner game, so I can talk about them. So uh, Jake Murray, who did the the map of the Crate Fang. Um, I mean, the freshers in there because I pestered him about it, and like the uh, the wampa rug in in the crew quarters, there is a wampa skim rug, and nice. that started out as a uh, Jake had put it in as a um, as a Wookiee skin rug, but I thought it might be a little skeezy to have um, the skin of the uh, playable species um, in, on the map of what you get to fly around with. I didn't want, I don't want, w- want Wookiee skin rugs and a potential Wookiee crew. Quarters. <laughs> if, if it was a Trandoshan ship, I, I would understand it, but otherwise. Right, yeah. yeah. And, and it started out a Trandoshan ship, but I, I just, um, plus the Wampa rug amuses me because of the, the, the one that you can actually get. Um, yeah, it's on think geek. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who has it. it they're, they're pretty great. Um, anyway, so my point is, he likes to put all this fun little environmental detail in, and another one of the the things he turned in at the time was the crew hanging out, just sort of chilling out on their ship, and in it, um, the captain lady is hanging out in a, in a hammock, and instantly in my head, like, oh, and now my ship has a hammock, so every time I get a piece of art in, my, uh, my understanding of what it is that I want to be either spawns another character or, or gets modified slightly. So that's always. <laughs> hammocks. We need more hammocks. More hammocks in the ship. <laughs> God. Awesome sauce. So let me, let me ask you something just to turn the spotlight back on me for a second. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. terrible. I never do that, but... Um, all right, so uh, if if I were to say uh, a Monday night Skype game, not every Monday night, who uh, would you be available there, Mister Chris? Uh, I think that's entirely feasible. Yes. Huh. All right. So Monday night, the eleventh, we're going to start. What, like February eleventh? March eleventh. Because February. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I could be down for that. March eleventh. That'll give us. That'll give me time. Get us. Get us time to get the Kickstarter going, and we'll we'll know where we're going with with Eons, uh, and 
and that's spring break, so I can almost be virtually guaranteed that I'll have time to at least chill. Someone had a question on on the on the chats about mm-hmm. on the. I don't know if you guys do you guys have a beginner game? Oh, uh, two copies actually. Okay. Yep. So uh, they're asking about on the map by the cockpit. It looks like there's wash strung up on it. If you look very very closely, Holocron Twenty, you can see that that is not wash, but actually various body parts and bits of skeleton. That the ship is since it's Trex is a trend ocean. It's filled with trophies, right? So there's various fang and skull and and leg bone bits hung up by the cockpit. And if you look at the the hall leading to the cockpit, there's various weapons, and it looks like a Mandalorian helmet just sort of flying out. Oh my gosh, I can and... see that now. There's a there's a big sword and a bowcaster and mm-hmm. grenades. So it's it's not wash. In fact, it is. They are trophies. Very so, interesting. Yeah, we we had a <laughs> poor Jake, uh, and it's fun because the I, I like to call it call these kind of maps dollhouses, and it's uh, fun to hear that phrase get start to get used by the general RPG department. Do we have enough in the budget to get another dollhouse? Just, you know. Have it okay, I, I love the I love in the in the galley the spilled drink on the counter. Yes, there are also dishes in the sink, which make me. Oh, did they take those out? I don't see them. Yeah, uh, all those little stuff. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that makes me squee. Because there's never enough squeeing in the day. <laughs> there's never there's never enough squeeing in the day. There's never there's never enough squeeing. Period. Yes, we know. <laughs> Yeah, no, I just... God, this map. Um, <laughs> I do love this map. Um, and, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I've, just, I've just got a massive hard-on for maps in general. And I, I'm sure you heard off the, off the top of the show, one of our network sponsors is, is Chris West of Maps of Mastery. You know, he, he, did all, he did a lot of the Wizards of the Coast work for Star Wars. And um, yeah. yep. lately has been... Uh, I know he got tapped to do... Uh, all the maps for Monty Cook's upcoming Numenera. He's been busting his butt on that. But uh, I just, I got such a hard-on for maps. I, <laughs> I don't yeah. care if I never play on them. They must be laminated and they must be stored carefully and looked at frequently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, someone's asking who did the cover art for the beta book. As a, a guy named Michael Comark. Oh, the cover for the beta book. No, that's J.P. Dojet. Uh, J.P. Tarjet, T-A-R-G-E-T, oh, I'm sorry, J.P., I forgot how to spell your last name. That's Target, honey. (laughs) Tarjet, oh, yes, of course, Uh, Uh, J.P. Tarjet. We always used to say J.P. Targetti, and then Ah. no, I'm pretty sure it's Tarjet. And so eventually I finally asked, I never actually talk to artists unless I meet them at, at things, Usually, I'm just emailing. Like, how how many of your artists are international? Because you mentioned you used a French artist earlier. Uh, it's about sixty forty. Really, domestic yeah. versus international. Yep. Uh, in could be split either way. I mean, I use people all over the world. Which, again, living in the future is awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, collaboration across continents is so easy. I mean, 
I work for a company now that literally has a follow the sun model. So if I'm here at home working at midnight and I need tech support, I call and it's a guy across the world who answers the phone and says, Hey, I'll help you. Oh, here's the spelling. Um, um, I asked destroyer JP Targets, T A R G E T E. His homepage is www.targetart.com, targetart.com. Nice. Very cool. The Order 66 podcast, helping starving artists around the world for 10 minutes. <laughs> no, he's, he's a, a skilled artist. He's, he's great. Um, Comark does have some excellent art. I'm responding again to the, the chat. He... Did the the cover art for the core book when it comes out? Comark is the nice. Wait, we can't see the cover. We can't wait to see it. Wait, no, I might I might be telling you horrible horrible lies. Comark did the cover art to the Star Wars LCG. (laughs) Ah, okay. Okay, which so, is which is still which is still really right. awesome, yeah. I, who did the core book? Now I have to look this up. Uh huh. Who's? Oh, you're one of those. Yeah, uh. yeah. My, I grew up a lo- around a lot of authoritative extrapolators, and now I insist on looking everything up. You can go ahead and send the core book over to us if you'd like. <laughs> yeah, we could look it up for you. Yeah, we could. I'll be. Yeah, I'd be happy I, I to. Got, I've got a PDF in my lap right here. <laughs> yeah, totally. Just, just seriously, just email it. We'll, we can help you with that lookup. Really. Yeah. There's... <laughs> See, my my boss is the one who works on the covers, which is why I get confused about who does what cover art. Scott Schaumburg does is did the cover art for the core book. Um. So, yeah. Yay. Yay. Sorry. <laughs> Gosh. Well, guys, I think I've got to call it. It is getting late, and I have a very early morning tomorrow. Oh, you do? I do. I'm landscaping. Oh, landscaping? Like, yeah, he's got this whole project sun? going in his backyard. He's like, it started with a little fire pit, and when they pulled out the pool that was that was gradually sinking into their backyard, it was going to get to China sometime in, in 2014. <sighs> So they went ahead and pulled it out, and now they've got this beautiful restoration project going. I think you got a new fence, you got some lattice up, you got a little garden now built. Wow! The fire pit's this, still let there. Me put it, let me put it this way: for an overweight gaming nerd, I had no idea I was so goddamn crafty. Uh, <laughs> so when uh, does the waterfall go in? Oh, <laughs> hey, see, look at that. Yeah, no, like when we moved into this house um, two and a half years ago, right before my daughter was born. Um, uh, <clears throat> like the previous owners had a above ground pool in the backyard and we were like, sweet, a pool. It's above ground. Okay, cool. Hey, it's a pool. Sweet. And within six months of owning the place, the pump broke completely to the point we'd have to get a new pump and the pool started leaking. And we're like, well, screw this. <laughs> so we decided to take it down and it wasn't like an above ground pool. It was like a half above ground pool. It's like an above ground pool, but they submerged about, Oh, depending because the backyard slopes anywhere from one to three feet of it underground. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so I drained it 
I demolitioned it, and we had literally a 30-foot diameter hole in my perfectly circular hole in my backyard for quite a while until we were able to get it filled with dirt, which took two dump trucks. Two um, dump trucks. <laughs> so you, you put a lot of work into digging a hole, and then you filled uh, it back up. That's absolutely correct. And, uh, and now the landscaping's begun, and my wife's like, I want a garden, and you know, I want it to be, have raised beds, and I want it to be enclosed with lattice so that our dogs don't get in there. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. And so, I want I want edging over here, and I want paved stones here, and gravel here, and I want new sun. See, really cute design at this point, and so yeah. you're working uh, life scale ter- terrain design then. There it is. Yeah, yeah. We'll make a map out of it soon, and we'll have encounter design built around it. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> As you enter the backyard, to your Y'all right, you're just you stressing see... me out at this point, man. I'm like, <laughs> the BBEG but, comes out from behind the swing set. <laughs> but like when we were filling in the hole, my wife was like, "Hey, can we put in a fire pit so we can have like a you know like an outdoor fire pit in the backyard, you know, and you know pat." pave it you know and stuff like that and we have a sitting area and 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 like my and like what i said was oh honey i think that's a great idea that'll be beautiful and yeah that's less dirt i gotta fill in (laughs) yeah And, and and so yeah um yeah that sounds like a project that's taken over your life you should probably get some sleep when when did I become this suburban dad, man? This like snuck this shit snuck up on me. I don't know how the hell this happened. Uh huh. Yep. <laughs> See, imagine that. Yeah. That's... And here, here I am, uh, sixteen months away from getting my old my oldest off to college. Oh my gosh, where are they going? Um, I don't know yet. We're gonna we're gonna get our our we're gonna have our fingers crossed. But she um. She had a, a college visit at the University of Montevallo over the weekend, which is in Alabama. Okay. And uh, if preliminary indications hold true and her ACT scores come uh, come back properly, and uh, she performs well in her next tournament, then she's uh, she'll be headed there on a full soccer scholarship, which is amazing. That's really exciting! Wow, good for her. Yeah. Yeah. We were, I was like, oh, I can't believe it! Oh my god! Yeah. So. Yeah, that's <sighs> about when I uh, I remember going to college and telling my starting out in like sciences and coming back and say, "Well, mom, I've uh, switched my major <laughs> to arts. I'm going to get a studio art degree." And she sort of looked at me for a full like ten seconds and then went, "That's great, sweetheart." <laughs> 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 I think she just like. Okay, all right, you know. Hey, follow uh, your passion, right? Follow. That's yep. You you have to follow your your passion. So okay, you got your degree in studio art. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you are you an accomplished artist? I mean, you mentioned sketching earlier. I mean, are you are you an artist yourself? Do you do any work? I um, actually, I got to my senior seminar in college, and the um, title of the senior seminar was "Surviving in the Art World." And it was all about edgy arts and uh, gallery politics. And I basically swore off making art 
ever again. <laughs> wow. Wow. And um, I then I was working um, on getting back into the academic bubble to go into um, uh, adolescent psych and um, hospital policy, basically, like administration policy for um, as far as psych practices go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did a whole bunch of weird jobs, a whole bunch of weird jobs. I uh, was a... Um, let's see, I worked security for a while, uh, third shift security in an ER, um, which was an adventure. And I was a substitute EBD teacher in middle schools for a while. Um, EBD is emotionally and behaviorally delayed, which is, um, the, you know, the kids who get labeled bad. Um, so that was also an adventure. And then I was in AmeriCorps um, teaching, like, tutoring math and English in, in middle schools. And somehow I ended up doing art direction. Yeah, so. Yeah, I was going to say, how did you go from that to being doing art direction at FFG? It's, um, when I was, one of my jobs was a temp job correcting standardized tests. Um, over the summer. Um, and the IT guy at that job, it, so it was all basically a bunch of really intelligent people who are in between jobs um, sitting around all day waiting for various states to get their their um, their written out essays to us so we can correct them according to rubric. So we had a lot of downtime. And I had, let's see, what did I have on me? Oh, I was reading the White Wolf Changeling book um, and the guy who was IT said, um, oh, you, you play games. And I was like, yeah. And I, I had a little Moncala set that I was playing at lunch with a friend. He said, you know, there are better games than that. And I went, what? And so he came back with, I think he started me off on Blue Moon. Mm. Um, and then, you know, Puerto Rico and Power Grid. And nice. uh, within a couple of weeks, we had a whole group that were, um, playing games at over lunch there's like eight of us so eventually we just went back to the guy's house after work and played games and that was um so when they were looking for uh, when ffg was looking for an art coordinator the head of the gaming group said hey zoe you could do that <laughs> <laughs> and i said nah and they said yeah you should so I, I had someone sort of hold my hand through uh, rejiggering my my resume and ended up getting the job. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a surprise to me. That's for sure. <laughs> but it's been a it's been a good it's been a, a very good six years. Well, it's and, obviously something you're passionate about. So yeah, and the honestly the all the teaching experience. Um, has really, really helped um, because it's all about communication and all about, I, I talk about it like charades, like you're, you're playing charades with the artist telling them, you know, what you want to see, uh, but you can't make the same gesture over and over for them. You have to figure out how they're thinking to be able to come at it from a few different angles to, really 
explain what you need. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, I, I, I use, I certainly use my, my art degree as far as understanding how the process of making art works, um, giving notes that are visual. Um, but I use, I use my theater experience a lot. Um, and I use my, uh, my teaching experience a lot too. So that's really well, cool. communication, you know, it's so important, especially with artists. Those guys are crazy, you know. They just think with uh, a different side of their brain than you, eh? <laughs> like oh, artists and people with art degrees—they're just—they're just wild and crazy, you know. They're just not normal. That's just the bottom line. It's more of—it's honestly more of the storytelling than the art. Like, I mean, we we hire them because um, they—they're good artists, right? But um, yeah, like. Uh, Understanding, you know, at at two inches by two inches, you have to get this one moment in the story in, and you know, um, so yeah, a lot of it's a lot more of clarifying the storytelling moment that you need to get across. Well, I mean, that's uh, you know, that's one of the core precepts of photography, which I'm, you know, I'm huge in the photography. I used to have a little a photography studio, and. It's, it goes way beyond the image, right? I mean, it goes, mm-hmm. it goes, I mean, the image is one thing. The very best pictures, photographs, drawings, tell the story rather than just present an image. So, I mean, that's it. Boom. You just said it. Yeah. Ah, uh, so, uh, again, thanks a lot for joining us. Tonight. Anytime. It's been really fun. It's been awesome. Hope, hope you'll uh, entertain the notion of coming back again. Absolutely. As we are, uh, we are betting a thousand on special guests. Um, <laughs> Jay, Jay seemed to, to to say on the forums that we weren't betting a thousand, but I would beg to differ. Even even though he did no show us on episode two, he we did. we still had two 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 special guests on. You know, so he told I mean, me he was going to pop into the boards tonight too. And well, you know, I mean, yeah, and you know, and and there you go. He's I mean, not there. See, Elf I'm, I Flaco. smell shenaniganry. I, yeah, it, total shenan- shenanigatrics. I mean, yeah. But that's, that's okay. We're still batting 1,000 with special guests, and we're, we're batting 1,000. Our slugging percentage is even higher because we had two guests on episode two. So, Ooh. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah, seriously, guys. It, just give me you know, heads up so I know to be around and you know, whenever. Oh, it's thank been, you, Jeff. It's been fun, and I, I sure do love to talk. So. <laughs> awesome. And I'm really glad that a lot of our listeners were able to get that that um, that art fix, so to speak, because it's it truly is off the beaten path of where we usually are very you know crunchy in rules and encounter design and storytelling and in dice interpretation and you know things that are that are related to the core mechanics of the game as opposed to the fluff factor. Right. And, well, uh, and I mean the the process of doing the art too has a lot of fun. like um. One of the ways that I, you know, give notes is I'll, you know, this expression needs to be different or this pose needs to be different. Here, I'll take a picture of myself doing the pose or making the face and then I'll Photoshop myself into the sketch. So, like, I mean, there's there's fun little weird things. It, yeah, it's it's a... It's a living, I guess, I suppose. Um... Yeah. Perfect. Uh, well, it's a living we appreciate. 
<laughs> in, ter- in terms of the fruits of your labor. So thank you. Well, thanks so much. I I wish I could take more credit, but it really all comes down to to the artists. They they do real good work. Perfect. So remember that, Gamer Nation. Love the artists. Love your local artists. <laughs> That's right. Support them. Zoe, thanks again. Good night, Gamer Nation. And good luck. <laughs>